money and trade considered, with a proposal for supplying the nation with money, by John Law, in Chapter One. When goods have a value from the uses they are applied to, and their value is greater or lesser, not so much from their more or less valuable or necessary uses, as from the greater or lesser quantity of them in proportion to the demand for them. Example: Water is of great use, yet of little value, because the quantity of water is much greater than the demand for it. Diamonds are of little use, yet of great value, because the demand for diamonds is much greater than the quantity of them. Goods of the same kind differ in value from any difference in their quality. One horse is better than another horse. Barley of one country is better than barley of another country. When goods change their value from any change in their quantity or in the demand for them, if oats be in greater quantity than last year and the demand the same or lesser, oats will be less valuable. Mr. Locke says the value of goods is according to their quantity in proportion to their weight. The weight of goods cannot be greater than the quantity, but the demand may be greater. If the quantity of wine bought from France be a hundred ton, and the demand be for five hundred ton, the demand is greater than the weight, and the one hundred ton will sell at a higher price than if the demand were only equal to the weight. So the prices of goods are not according to the quantity in proportion to the weight, but in proportion to the demand. Before the use of money was known, goods were exchanged by barter or contract, and contracts were made payable in goods. This state of barter was inconvenient and disadvantageous. First. He who desired to barter would not always find people who wanted the goods he had, and had such goods as he desired in exchange. Second, contracts taken payable in goods were uncertain, for goods of the same kind differed in value. Third, there was no measure by which the proportion of value goods had to one another could be known. In this state of barter, there was little trade, and few artsmen. The people depended on the landed men. The landed men labored only so much for the land as served the occasions of their families, to barter for such necessaries as the land did not produce, and to lay up for seed and bad years. What remained was unlabored, or gifted on condition of vassalage. And other services, the losses of difficulties that attended barter would force the landed men to greater consumption of the goods of their own product, and a lesser consumption of other goods, or to supply themselves, they would turn the land to the product of the several goods they had occasion for, though only proper to produce of one kind. So much of the land was unlabored. What was labored? Was not employed to that by which it would have turned to most advantage, nor the people to the labor they were most fit for. Silver as metal had a value in barter, as other goods, from the uses it was then applied to. 
As goods of the same kind differed in value, so silver differed from silver, as it was more or less fine. Silver was liable to a change in its value, as other goods, from any change in its quantity or in the demand for it. Silver had qualities which fitted it for the use of money. First, it could be brought to a standard in fineness. So was certain as to its quality. Second, it was easy of delivery. Third, it was of the same value in one place that it was in another, or differed a little, being easy of carriage. Fourth, it could be kept without loss or expense, and taking up a little room and being durable. Fifth, it could be divided without loss. An ounce in four pieces being equal in value to an ounce in one piece. Silver having these qualities, it is reasonable to think it was used as money before it was coined. What is meant by being used as money is that silver in bullion was the measure by which goods were valued, the value by which goods were exchanged, and in which contracts were made payable. He who had more goods than he had use for would choose to barter them for silver, though he had no use for it, because the silver was certain in its quality. It was easy of delivery; it could be kept without loss or expense, and with it he could purchase other goods as he had occasion, in whole or in part, at home or abroad. The silver being divisible without loss. And of the same value in different places. If A B had a hundred sheep, and desired to exchange them for horses, C D had ten horses, which were equal to or worth the hundred sheep, and was willing to exchange. But as A B had not present occasion for the horses, rather than be at the expense of keeping them, he would barter his sheep with E F. Who had the value to give him silver, with which he could purchase the horses at the time he had occasion? Or if E F had not silver, but was satisfied to give his bond for the silver or the horses, and payable at the time A B wanted them, A B would choose to take the bond payable in silver rather than in horses, because silver was certain in quality. And horses differed much, so silver was used as a value in which contracts were made payable. Silver was likewise used to measure by which goods were valued, because certain in quality. If A B had a hundred weight of lead, and desired to exchange it for barley, the weight would know what quantity of barley was equal in value to the lead, was by the silver. If the hundred weight of lead was equal to five ounces of fine silver, and five ounces of fine silver equal to twenty bowls of barley, then twenty bowls was the quantity of barley to be given in exchange for the lead. Silver being easy of carriage, so equal in one place to what it was in another, was used as the measure by which goods to be delivered in different places were valued. If a piece of wine was to be delivered at Glasgow by a B merchant there, 
to the order of a CD merchant in Aberdeen, and the value to be delivery loads at Aberdeen by CD to the order of AB. The wine could not be valued by the quantity of oats it was worth at Glasgow, nor the oats by the quantity of wine they were worth at Aberdeen. Wine or oats might differ in quality, or be more or less valuable at the one place than at the other. The way to have known what the quantity of oats was equal to the wine was by the quantity of silver it was worth at the places they were to be delivered. If the piece of wine was worth at Glasgow on twenty ounces of fine silver, and twenty ounces of fine silver was fifty bowls of oats at Aberdeen, then fifty bowls was the quantity of oats to be given there in return for the wine. Silver being capable of a stamp, and princes, for the greater convenience of the people, set up mints to bring them to a standard. And stamp it, whereby its weight and fineness was known, without the trouble of weighing or fining. But the stamp added nothing to the value. For these reasons, silver was used as money. Its being coined was only a consequence of its being applied to that use in bullion, so not with the same convenience. Mr. Locke and others, who have wrote on this subject, say the general consent of men places imaginary value upon silver because of its qualities fitting for money. I cannot conceive how different nations could agree to put imaginary value upon anything, especially upon silver, by which all other goods are valued. Or that any one country would receive that as value, which was not valuable equal to what it was given for, or how that imaginary value could have been kept up. But suppose France receiving silver at imaginary value, other nations received it at that value because received so in France. Then, for the same reason, a crown passing in France for seventy-six sous should pass in Scotland for seventy-six pence, and in Holland for seventy-six stivers. But on the contrary, even in France, where the crown is raised, it is worth no more than before when at sixty sous. It is reasonable to think silver was bartered as it was valued for its uses as metal, and was given as money according to its value in barter. The additional use of money silver was applied to would add to its value, because as money it remedied the disadvantages and inconveniences of barter, and consequently the demand for silver increasing. It received an additional value equal to the greater demand its use as money occasioned, and this additional value is no more imaginary than the value silver had in barter as metal, for such value was because it served such uses, and was greater or lesser according to the demand for silver as metal, proportionate to its quantity. The additional value silver received from being used as money was because of its qualities, which fitted it for that use, 
and that value was according to the additional demand its user's money occasioned. If either of these values are imaginary, then all value is so, for no goods have any value but from the uses they are applied to, and according to the demand for them, in proportion to their quantity. Thus, silver having value, and qualities fitted for money, which other goods had not, was made money, and for the greater convenience of the people was coined. The names of the different pieces might have been number one, number two, and so on. Number sixty would have been the same as a crown. For the name and the stamp was only to certify that the piece had such a quantity of silver in it, of such a fineness. Goods of any other kind that have the same qualities might then, and may now be made money equal to their value. Gold and copper may be made money, but neither with so much convenience as silver. Payments in copper be inconvenient by reason of its bulk, and gold not being so great quantity as to serve the use of money. In countries where gold is in great quantity, it is used as money, and where gold and silver are scarce, and copper is used. Gold is coined for the more easy exchange of that metal. And copper to serve in small payments, but silver is the measure by which goods are valued, the value by which goods are exchanged, and in which contracts are made payable. As money increased, the disadvantages and inconveniences of barter were removed, the poor and idle were employed, more of the land was laboured. The product increased, manufactures and trade improved, the landed men lived better, and the people with less dependence on them. End of section one. Section two of Money and Trade Considered by John Law. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Part One. Trade is domestic or foreign. Domestic trade has the employment of the people and the exchange of goods within the country. Foreign trade has several branches. First, the product and manufacture being more than a consumption, a part is exported, and in return, foreign goods are brought home. And second. Selling the goods exported at one port and loading there to sell another, whereby a greater return is made than if the goods exported had been carried directly there. Third, on bringing home the product and manufacture of other countries from whence and when they are cheap, to supply countries where and when they are dear. Fourth, on bringing home the product of other countries. And exporting it in manufacture. Fifth, freighting or hiring out ships. And domestic and foreign trade may be carried on by barter, but are not for so great a value 
as by money, nor with so much convenience. Domestic trade depends on money. A greater quantity employs more people than a lesser quantity. A limited sum can only set a number of people to work proportionate to it, and is with little success unless are made for employing the poor or idle in countries where money is scarce. Good laws may bring the money to the full circulation it is capable of, and force it to those employments that are most profitable to the country. But no laws can make it go further. Nor can more people be set to work without more money to circulate so as to pay the wages of a greater number. They may be brought to work on credit, and that is not practicable unless the credit have a circulation, so as to supply the workmen with necessaries. If that is supposed, then that credit is money, and will have the same effects on home and foreign trade. In addition to the money as to the value of the country, so long as money gives interest, it is employed, and the money employed brings profit, though the employer loses. If fifty men are set to work, to whom twenty-five shillings is paid per day, and the improvement made by their labor be only equal to or worth fifteen shillings, yet by so much the value of the country is increased. But as it is reasonable to suppose their labor equal to forty shillings, so much is added to the value of the country, of which the employer gains fifteen shillings. Fifteen may be supposed to equal the consumption of the laborers, who before lived on charity, and ten shillings remains to them over their consumption. If a stove of wool is worth ten shillings and a mending the clothes worth two pound. The product is improved to four times the value it had in wool. The workmen may be supposed to consume more than when they were not employed. A lower force, the nation is gaining double the value of the product. So, in addition to the money, whether the employer gains or not, as to the national wealth, eases the country of a number of poor or idle, proportioned to the money added. Enables them to live better and to bear a share in the public with the other people. The first branch of foreign trade, which is the export-import of goods, depends on the money. If one half the people are employed and the whole product manufacture consumed, more money by employing more people will make an overplus to export. If then the goods imported balance the goods exported. A great addition to the money we employ yet more people, or the same people before employed to more advantage, which by making a greater or more valuable export, we make a balance due. So if the money lessens, a part of the people then employed are set idle, or employed to less advantage. The product and manufacture is less or less valuable, the export of consequence less. And balance due to foreigners. The second and third branches of foreign trade, including the trades of carriage, are monopolized out of Europe by these countries who have colonies, and in Europe by these who sell cheapest.
Scotland has advantages for trade by which the merchants might undersell merchants in Holland, as cheapness of living, paying less to the public, having workmen, seamen, and provisions for victualing cheaper. But if the Dutch merchant's stock is ten thousand pound, and his yearly expense five hundred, he can trade the ten percent profit and add yearly five hundred pound to his stock. Whereas the Dutch merchant, whose stock is five hundred pound, and his yearly expense fifty, cannot trade so cheap. If it is asked how a Dutch merchant trades who has only five hundred pound stock. He restricts his expense so as he can afford to trade at a ten percent profit. Or money being in greater quantity in Holland, whereby it is easier borrowed and at less use, he gets credit for more at three or four percent, by which he gains six or seven. And unless money be in greater quantity in Scotland, or expense retrenched, we cannot trade so cheap as the Dutch. Though we have advantages for trade that they have not, and though they be under disadvantages, we are not liable to. By a greater quantity of money and economy, the Dutch monopolize the trades of carriage, even from the English. The first branch of foreign trade, on bringing home the product of other countries, and exporting it in manufacture, depends on the quantity of money. We are so far from competing with the Dutch in this trade that our wool was sent to Holland, and imported from thence in manufacture. Under the difficulty of prohibition on the export of the wool, and on the import of the manufacture, yet besides the advantages already named, which we have for trade over the Dutch, the material is the product of our country, and the greater privileges are granted to the manufacturers here. Than in Holland, tis alleged, if the prohibition had continued, manufacturers might have come to perfection. The advantage some men made by manufacture may have occasioned the setting up of more, while the money has been diminishing. But that money so employed has been taken from some other use it was before employed in. For money cannot serve in two places at one time. It is alleged that the allowing the wool to be exported occasioned the exportation of the money. That at one time five thousand pounds was sent to England to buy wool. It is asked what became of that wool. The answer: It was sent to France for wine. Then, as five thousand pounds of English wool may be worth eight or ten thousand pounds in France. So the five thousand pound sent to England saved the sending out of eight or ten thousand pound to France. To these who don't thoroughly examine the state of this country, it may seem odd that wool should be allowed by law to be exported. But if the product of Scotland cannot be manufactured with less than fifty thousand people, and the money that can be spared to manufacture be only capable to employ twenty-five thousand. One half the product will be lost if it is not allowed to be exported. The fifth branch, the freighting or hiring of the ships, depends on the money, and the other branches of trade, where ships are in use to be freighted by strangers and supported by a great demand for their own trade. 
there are all sorts of shifts are to be had cheaper than in other places. And the merchants are sure of such shifts as are proper for the goods they load with, and the countries they trade to. This trade of freighting brings the goods of other countries to Holland, though designed for sale elsewhere. If woolen manufacture from England to Portugal yields twenty-five percent profit, and to Holland fifteen, the English merchant will choose to send such goods to Holland fifteen percent rather than to Portugal for twenty-five. And the Dutch merchant who is able to trade cheaper from the cheapness of freight, etc., is satisfied for the other ten to carry to Portugal. Most authors who have wrote on trade divide it into national and private. They say a merchant may gain where the nation loses. If a thousand pound is exported to the Indies in money or bullion, and a thousand pound in goods or provisions, the return was eight thousand pound. The merchant gains six thousand. But as these goods are all consumed in the country. The nation loses a thousand pound money or bullion exported. They don't consider whether the eight thousand pound of goods imported, or supposed to be consumed in the country, does not lessen the consumption of the product or manufacture of the country, so as to occasion an addition to the export, at least equal to the thousand pound money or bullion exported. But alone, they do not lessen the consumption of the goods of the country. And the use of them be not at all necessary. Yet these goods being worth eight thousand pounds at home or abroad, the nation gains six thousand. If the people consume them and extravagant uses, that's not the fault of the trade. Nor for that reason should that trade be called disadvantageous. It is the fault of the government, who ought to hinder the too great consumption of foreign goods. Especially such as might be wanted without causing greater consumption of the goods of the country, that care being taken by making the vent less profitable at home than abroad, the merchants would export them, or for the future lessen the import. If East India goods that sell for thousand pound England are only worth about eight hundred pound, the duty paid at their entry being returned. The more given as drawbacks to encourage the export, their winter abroad will be more profitable than in England. A people may consume more of their own or foreign goods than the value of the product, manufacture, and profits by trade. But their trade is not disadvantageous; it is that your great consumption, and that your great consumption of the product and manufacture of the country. May be as hurtful as that of foreign goods, for if so much is consumed, that the remainder exported won't pay the consumption of foreign goods. A balance will be due, and that balance will be sent out in money or bullion. End of section two. Section three of money and trade considered by John Law. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Part Two. A nation may gain where the merchant loses, but wherever the merchant gains, the nation gains equal, 
and so much more as the maintenance and wages of the people employed, and the duty on the goods amounts to. If the shipping should is lost, the nation loses, and the merchant loses nothing. But in that case, the insurer is the merchant, and loses equal to the nation. As trade depends on money, so the increase or decrease of the people depends on trade. If they have employment at home, they are kept at home. And if the trade is greater than serves to employ the people, it brings more from places where they are not employed. Sir William Petty values men at twenty years' purchase. By that computation, a seaman whose wage is forty shilling months is valued four hundred eighty pound. Scotland has very inconsiderable trade, because she has but a very small part of the money. There is a little home trade, but the country is not improved, nor the product manufactured. There is a little of the first branch of foreign trade, and that is carried on with great disadvantage to the people. Who pay dearer for most foreign goods, and are worse served than other nations. If they have any cheaper, it is from the lower duty on the import. In Scotland, low prices are given for goods bought up to be exported. The merchant's profit being great, if hundred stone wool is worth in hundred ten pieces of linen cloth, these ten pieces are sold in Scotland for the value of hundred eighty or two hundred stone of such wool. Such goods as do not yield that great profit are not exported, and these that do are not exported in any quantity. The merchant's stock being small, Scotland has no part of the other branches of foreign trade, not being able to trade so cheap as other nations. Some think if interest were lowered by law, trade would increase, merchants being able to employ more money and trade cheaper. Such a law would have many inconveniences. It is much to be doubted whether it would have any good effect. Indeed, if lowness of interest were the consequence of a greater quantity of money, the stock applied to trade would be greater, and the merchants would trade cheaper from the easiness of borrowing and the lower interest of money, without any inconveniences attended. Though interest were at three percent in Holland. And continued at six in Scotland. If money were to be had equal to the demand at six, the advantages we have for trade, which the Dutch have not, would enable us to extend trade to its other branches, notwithstanding the difference of interest. If money in Scotland were equal to the demand at six percent, the Dutch could not trade so cheap in herring. The hindrances of that trade being the consequences of the scarcity of money. The materials for carrying on the fishing are cheaper in Holland, but the cheapness of victualing alone would balance that. And the dearth of these materials, as of other foreign goods, coming from the scarcity of money, that being remedied, these materials and other foreign goods that are not the product of Holland would be sold as cheap in Scotland. Exchange is when the merchant exports to greater value than he imports. And as many do abroad, another importing to a greater value than he exported has occasion for money abroad. This allows by paying money to the other of the weight and firmness which that is due him, or to that value, and save the trouble, hazard, and expense to himself of sending money out.
to the other of bringing money home, and to both the expense of recalling. So long as foreign trade and expense kept equal, exchange was at the par. But when the people imported for a greater value or had other occasions abroad more than the export, and the expense of foreigners among them would balance. There was a necessity of sending out the balance in money or bullion, and the merchant or gentleman who owed or had occasion for money abroad to save the trouble, expense, and hazard of sending it out, and give so much percent to another as the trouble, expense, and hazard was valued. Thus, exchange rose above the par and became a trade. Mister Mann on trade. Page hundred says, the exchange being against nation is an advantage to that nation. It supposes if hundred pound at London is worth no more than ninety pound of the same money at Amsterdam, the Dutch will send five hundred thousand pound of goods to England, and the English four hundred thousand pound of goods to Holland. It follows that the money due the English at Amsterdam. It balanced four hundred forty thousand pound due to the Dutch at London, so sixty thousand pound pays the balance. Mister Mann does not consider that the Dutch goods worth five hundred thousand pound when exchange was at the par, are worth the London five hundred fifty five thousand five hundred fifty five pound, when ninety pound at Amsterdam is worth a hundred pound at London, and the four hundred thousand pound of English goods in Holland. Are only worth three hundred sixty thousand pound. Let the sum be equal by exchange to four hundred thousand pound in England. So, in place of England's having an advantage of forty thousand pound, as he alleges by the exchange being against her, she pays ninety five thousand five hundred fifty five pound more than if exchange had been at par. When exchange is above the par, it is not only paid for the sums due balance. But I fix the whole exchange to the place where the balance is due. If the balance twenty thousand pound, and the sums exchanged by merchants who have money abroad with others who are owing or have occasion for money there, be six thousand pound, the bills for the six thousand pound are sold at or near the same price with the twenty thousand pound of balance. It likewise affects the exchange to countries where no balance is due. If the exchange betwixt Scotland and Holland is three percent above the par against Scotland, betwixt England and Holland it is a par. Though no balance due by Scotland to England, yet the exchange with England will rise. For a hundred pound in England remitted to Scotland by Holland will yield hundred three pound. So betwixt Scotland and England, it may be supposed to be had at two percent. In less trouble than to remit by Holland, when goods are sold to foreigners according to the first cost, if a good worth a hundred pound in Scotland are worth hundred thirty pound in England, these goods will be exported, thirty percent being supposed enough for the charges and profit. If the price for these goods lower in Scotland from a hundred pound to eighty, the price in England will not continue at a hundred thirty. It will lower proportionably, for either Scots merchants will undersell one another, or English merchants will export these goods themselves. 
So if they rise in Scotland from 100 pound to 120, they will rise proportionably in England, unless the English can be served with these goods cheaper from other places, or can supply the use of them with goods of another kind. This being supposed, it follows that, by so much as changes stock the par, so much all goods exported are sold cheaper, and all goods imported are sold dearer than before. If a merchant sends goods yearly to England first cost, charges and profit £6,000 money in England of the same standard with money in Scotland, and no balance due, but a balance due to Holland, raising the exchange 3% above the par to Holland, and affecting the exchange to England 2%, £5,882.7 in England pays the goods, that sum by exchange being equal to £6,000 in Scotland, so that a balance due to Holland, by raising the exchange to other countries, occasions a loss to Scotland of £117.13 on the value of £6,000 of goods sent to England. English goods are sold so much dearer. If an English merchant sends goods yearly to Scotland, first cost, charges, and profit £6,000, £6,120 must be paid for these goods in Scotland, being only equal to £6,000 in England. If the exchange had been at the par, the Scots goods sent to England would have sold £117.14 more, and the English goods sent to Scotland £120 less. Thus, to all places with whom exchange is above the par, goods sent out are sold so much less, and goods brought from this are sold so much dearer, as the exchange is above the par, whether sent out or brought in by Scots or foreign merchants. The merchant who deals in English goods gains no more than when exchange was at the par, though he sells dearer. Nor the merchant who deals in Scots goods less, though he sells cheaper. They have both the same profit as when exchange was at the par. Scotland pays 2% more for English goods, and England 2% less for Scots goods. All, or a greater part of the loss, falls at last on the landed man in Scotland. And it is the landed man in England has all, or a great part of the benefit. Nations finding the export of money or bullion to pay the balance due by trade, a lot of so much riches, and very hurtful to trade, might have discharged the import of such goods as the people could best want, or laid a duty on them, such as might have lessened their consumption. They might have given encouragement to industry, whereby the product would have been increased and improved, or discouraged extravagant consumption, whereby the overpass of export would have been greater. Any one of these methods would have brought trade and exchange equal, and have made a balance due them. But in place of these measures, they prohibit bullion and money to be exported, which could not well have any other effect than to raise exchange equal to the hazard. Such laws added to the export of money or bullion, which may be supposed 3% more, and these laws by such effect were hurtful, 
making all goods exported a sale yet 3% cheaper and all goods imported 3% dearer. The stricter they were excused, the higher the exchange rose, and the more they did hurt. The balance was still centered in money or bullion by the merchant who owed it, by the banker who gave the bills, or by the foreigner to whom it was due. End of section 3《Section Four of Money and Trade Considered by John Law》This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Part Three. Suppose the money of Scotland, England, Holland of the same weight and fineness. Scotland to trade with no other places. To exchange it as a par. The yearly export from Scotland first cost three hundred thousand pound. Charges and profit thirty percent. When goods imported two hundred eighty thousand pound. Charges and profit thirty percent. One half the trade to be carried on by Scots merchants, the other half by English and Dutch. In due to Scotland, four and a half of the export carried out by their own merchants, hundred ninety five thousand. Due for the other half. Carried out by English and Dutch, hundred fifty thousand, some three hundred forty-five thousand. Due by Scotland to England and Holland for goods imported by English and Dutch, hundred eighty-two thousand. Due for goods imported by Scots merchants, hundred forty thousand, some. Three hundred twenty-two thousand. The expense of Scotsmen abroad more than of foreigners in Scotland, forty thousand pound. If this is supposed the yearly state of the trade and expense of Scotland, there will be a balance due of seventeen thousand pound. And unless the Scots returns the consumption of foreign goods, so as to import less, or returns the consumption of their own goods, so as to export more. Or increase or improve the product, so as the export be greater or more valuable, or return in their expense abroad. Since that balance must be paid, it will go out in money or bullion, and occasions exchange to rise three percent. The prohibition on the export of money three more. If Scotsmen export it, the nation saves the thousand twenty pound exchange on the seventeen thousand of balance due. Which is lost if English merchants export it, but as a loss such a rise in exchange occasions on the goods is more considerable. The hundred ninety-five thousand pound due abroad for goods sent out of Scotland by Scots merchants will be paid with hundred eighty-three thousand nine hundred sixty-two pound English or Dutch money, and that sum be equal by exchange at six percent to hundred ninety-five thousand pound in Scotland. The hundred fifty thousand pound due for first class of goods carried out by English or Dutch merchants will be paid with hundred forty one thousand five hundred ten pound English or Dutch money, and that sum being equal to hundred fifty thousand pound in Scotland. The hundred eighty two thousand pound due by Scotland for goods imported by English and Dutch merchants will come to hundred ninety two thousand nine hundred twenty pound in Scotland.
and £147 for the cost of goods brought home by Scott merchant. Will come to £148,400 in Scotland. So the account will render due to Scotland for goods exported £183,962. Brought from abroad, first cost £140,000. Balance of expense abroad, £40,000. Due to Scotland abroad. Three thousand nine hundred sixty-two. Due by Scotland for goods imported by English and Dutch. Hundred ninety-two thousand nine hundred twenty. English and Dutch take back in goods. Hundred fifty thousand. Due to English and Dutch in Scotland. Forty-two thousand nine hundred twenty. Three thousand nine hundred sixty-two pound due brought to Scotland in Scots money. Four thousand hundred ninety-nine remains due by Scotland. Thirty-eight thousand seven hundred twenty-one. So the rise in the exchange of three percent by the balance due of seventeen thousand pound, and three more by the prohibition on the export of money. Occasions a loss to Scotland of twenty-one thousand seven hundred twenty-one pound, and makes the next year's balance thirty-eight thousand seven hundred twenty-one pound. Those trade be the same as before, of which twenty-one thousand seven hundred twenty-one pound lost by exchange. One half would be saved if money were allowed to be exported. Since the exchange being six percent above the par, occasions the loss of twenty-one thousand seven hundred twenty-one pound. Then raising the money eight and one third percent, having raised the exchange with England to fourteen percent, and with Holland to thirty, makes the loss proportionably greater. Scots goods being supposed to continue at the same prices they were sold for before the money was raised, or not to rise in the same proportion with the money. Following exchange was it as a par, a hundred pound of Scots goods were sold abroad for a hundred thirty pound English money, but a hundred fourteen pound English money being now equal by exchange to a hundred thirty pound in Scotland, the Scots merchant can afford to sell the same quantity of goods for a hundred fourteen pound that he sold before at a hundred thirty, and have the same profit. So foreign goods worth about a hundred pound and sold in Scotland for a hundred thirty pound, when exchange was at a par, cannot be sold now for less than a hundred fifty pound in Scotland. That sum being only equal to hundred thirty pound English money, and the merchant's profit is no greater than when he sold the same quantity of goods for a hundred thirty pound. It may not be improper to consider what consequences would attend the lowering the money to the English standard and allowing it to be exported. The former state of trade I have supposed to be carried on, one half by Scots merchants, the other half by English and Dutch. But as most of the trade is carried on by Scots merchants, I shall suppose this state of trade accordingly. The one or the other will clear the matter in question. The state of trade now, and exchange supposed at fifteen percent to England, and thirty to Holland. The whole export of Scotland to be three hundred thousand pound, of which two hundred forty thousand pound carried out by Scots merchants, and so did thirty percent profit, 
and charges three hundred twenty-five thousand pound. In English money, two hundred eighty-two thousand six hundred eight. Exported by foreigners for forty thousand pound. In English money, forty-three thousand four hundred seventy-eight. The whole export. Three hundred twenty-six thousand eighty-six. On goods imported, three hundred six thousand eighty-six. Spent abroad, forty thousand. Due balance by Scotland, twenty thousand. Money being lowered to the English standard and allowed by law to be exported, will bring the exchange with England to two or three percent. And withholding to seventeen or eighteen, notwithstanding of the balance due, for a hundred pound in Edinburgh would then be equal to a hundred pound at London, and being allowed to be exported, none would go above hundred due or three here for a hundred pound at London, because the trouble and the charge of sending it to London would be valued no higher. The export, import, and expense abroad supposed to continue the same. The balance would then be due to Scotland. The state of trade exchange at three percent for England, and proportionably to other places. Due in English money for three hundred twenty-five thousand pound first cost charges and profit of goods sent out by Scots merchants three hundred fifteen thousand five hundred thirty-four. Due in English money. For fifty thousand pound of goods exported by foreigners, forty-eight thousand five hundred forty-four. The whole export, three hundred sixty-four thousand seventy-eight. Of this, deduce the value of goods imported, three hundred six thousand eighty-six. And the expense abroad, forty thousand. There will be a balance due to Scotland. Of seventeen thousand nine hundred ninety-two, as this balance due to Scotland would bring exchange to the par, and three percent on the Scots side, three more because money in England is prohibited to be exported. Hundred pound in Scotland would be worth hundred six pound in England, and proportionably in other places. So the state of trade would then be thus. Due in English money for three hundred twenty-five thousand pound first cost charges and profit of Scots goods sent out by Scots merchants, and fifty thousand pound exported by foreigners, three hundred ninety-seven thousand five hundred. Of this spent abroad, forty thousand. Imported from abroad, on three hundred six thousand eighty-six. Palestine due to Scotland, fifty-one thousand four hundred fourteen. If the yearly export be as great as I suppose it, and the balance only twenty thousand pounds, then lowering the money to the English standard will make a balance due of fifty-one thousand four hundred fourteen pound, though the money is not allowed to be exported. It may be objected that a certain alteration in the exchange, lowering the value of foreign money. Might hinder the sale of our goods abroad, for linen cloths bought in Scotland for hundred pound, and sold in London for hundred fourteen pound, 
yields by exchange 31% profit. Value of exchange was 6% on the Scott side. The profit is only 9%. It is answered. If an English merchant takes bills on Scotland from £1,000 to lay out on linen cloths, the exchange then is at a par. The linen cloth is sold in England according to the first cost charges and the euro profit. Next year, the exchange is on the English side. The linen is sold in England cheaper than before. The third year exchange returns to the par. The linen is then sold in England as the fourth year. If the first cost of linen is dearer, the consumer pays the more for it. The merchant's profit is the same. All nations endeavor to get the exchange as much as they can on their side. The exchange from Holland to England is 12 or 15%, to Scotland is 30%, to France 40 or 50 sometimes more. If that goods sell in these countries, the merchant has his profit the same as when exchange was lower. The consumer pays more for them. English cloth is sold in Paris from 18 to 20 livres the French air, when the Louis d'or is at 12 livres. From 20 to 23, when the Louis d'or is at 14 livres. Because the exchange of England is dearer in proportion as the French money is raised. The most goods sent from Scotland are such as foreigners won't want, though they paid 10 or 20% more for them. We have an example of this in the war, and during the prohibition, when wool sold in Holland and France for double the first cost, now it has fallen to 30 or 40% profit. Prices are given for goods according to their first cost, charges, and the euro profit. Their prohibitions are the hazard of exporting contrary to law is valued. Who is of less value now in Holland than in time of peace? Because the value of their woolen manufacture is less. But though wool were as valuable in Holland as before, and though a Dutch manufacturer would give £200 for wool that costs only £100 in Scotland rather than wanted, yet as he knows the prohibition is taken off, that the Scots merchants can afford to sell cheaper, he won't buy unless he can have it at a reasonable profit. So either the Scots merchants bring down the price by underselling one another, or the Dutch merchant commissions it himself. If the duty were put on such goods whose value board would bear it, the merchant would gain the same, since the foreigner pays the duty. Besides, lowering the money may not lower the prices aboard, for as the money was raised and goods may have rose in proportion, or have been made worse. So, as a hundred pound after the money is lowered, we have a thirty-three crowns and one six more silver in it than a hundred pound had before. So, a greater quantity of goods may be bought with a hundred pound than before. Or the goods may be made better, especially the linen cloth, since the material would be imported for less. But knowing that upon the lowering the money and goods sold in Scotland as before, and were made no better, and knowing that one third or more of the goods exported could not be raised in their prices abroad, because foreigners might be served cheaper with the same kind of goods from other places. 
or might supply the use of them with goods of another kind, or might consume less of them, yet that ought not to hinder such a regulation of the money and exchange. For a drawback might be given upon the export of such goods, whose prices abroad were not great enough to yield a reasonable profit. But unless such an alteration in the exchange, when the value in foreign money should lessen the export of goods, it may not be advisable, unless a fund were given, out of which drawbacks might be paid to encourage export, and an addition be made to the money, whereby the people may be set to work. For without some addition to the money, it is not to be supposed next year's export can be equal to the last. It will lessen as money has lessened. A part of the people then employed being an idol, not for want of inclination to work or for want of employers, but for want of money to employ them with. End of section 4、section Chapter Three. The measures have been used to preserve and increase money, have in some countries been opposite to what has been used in others, and opposite measures have been used in the same countries, without any different circumstances to occasion them. Some countries have raised money in the denomination, when others have lowered it. Some have allayed it, when others who had allayed it have rectified it. Some have prohibited the export of money under severest penalties, when others have by law allowed it to be exported. Some thinking to add to the money have obliged traders to bring home bullion in proportion to the goods they imported. Most countries have tried some or all of these measures, and others of the same nature, and have tried contrary measures at one time. From what they used immediately before, from the opinion that since the method used had not the effect designed, a contrary would. Yet it has not been found that any of them have preserved or increased money, but on the contrary, the use of banks has been the best method yet practiced for the increase of money. And banks have been long used in Italy, but as I am informed. The invention of them was owing to Switzerland. Their money was copper, which was inconvenient by reason of its weight and bulk. To remedy this inconveniency, a bank was set up where the money might be pledged, and credit given to the value which passed in payments, and facilitated trade. The Dutch, for the same reason, set up the Bank of Amsterdam. Their money was silver. But their trade was so great as to find payments even in silver inconvenient. This bank, like that of Switzerland, is a secure place where merchants may give in money and have credit to trade with. Besides the convenience of easier and quicker payments, these banks save the expense of cashiers, the expense of bags and carriage, the losses by bad money, and the money is safer than in the merchants' houses. What is less liable to fire or robbery, the necessary measures being taken to prevent them. Merchants who have money in the Bank of Amsterdam and the people of other countries who deal with them 
are not liable to the changes in the money by its being allayed or altered in the denomination, for the bank receives no money but what's of value, and is therefore called bank money. And though raised in current payments, it goes for the value it was pledged for in bank payments. The value of the bank changes a quarter or half percent, as current money is more or less scarce. Banks where the money is pledged equal to the credit given are sure, for though demands are made of the whole, the bank does not fail in payment. By the constitution of this bank, the whole sum for which credit is given ought to remain there to be ready at demand. Yet a sum is lent by the managers for stock to the lumber, and is thought they lend great sums on other occasions. So far as they lend, they add to the money, which brings a profit to the country by employing more people and extending trade. They add to the money to be lent, whereby it is easier borrowed and at less use. And the bank has benefit, but the bank is less sure, and though none suffer by it. Or apprehensive of danger, its credit being good, yet if the whole demands were made, or demands greater than the remaining money, they could not all be satisfied till the bank had called in what sums were lent. The certain good it does will more than balance the hazard. Though once in two or three years it failed in payment, provided the sums lent be well secured, the merchants who had money there. Might be disappointed of it at the demand, but the security being good and interest allowed, money would be had on a small discount, perhaps at the par. Thus far, England set up a bank to have the conveniences of that at Amsterdam, and by their constitution to increase money. This bank was made up of subscribers. Who lent the king a million two hundred thousand pound at eight and a third percent for eleven years on a parliamentary fund, and were privileged bankers for that time. The sum due by the government was security to the people to make good any losses the bank might suffer. And this bank was safer than the goldsmith's notes in use before. It made a great addition to the money, having much greater sum of notes out. The money in bank, and the sum lent the king, which for the fund belonged to the subscribers, was negotiated at profit, and had the same effect in trade as money. I don't know how the notes came to be at discount, whether from the circumstances of the nation or from ill management. The fund of the Bank of Scotland was hundred thousand pound, of which tenth was paid in. This bank was safer than that of England, there being a register whereby most sums lent were secured. Its notes went for four or five times the value of the money in bank, and by so much as these notes went for more than the money in bank, so much was added to the money of the nation. And this bank was more useful than that of Amsterdam or England, its notes passing most payments, and through the whole country. The Bank of Amsterdam being only for that town, and that of England of little use but at London. The stop of payments which happened to the Bank of Scotland was foreseen, and it might have been prevented. 
the consumption for foreign goods and expense in England being more than the export of goods did pay, the balance sent out in money lessened the credit for the bank. For as credit is voluntary, it depends on the quantity of money in the country, and increases or decreases with it. When coining notes of one pound supported the bank by furnishing paper for small payments, and thereby preventing a part of the demand for money, by these notes the bank might have kept its credit till other methods had been taken to supply the country with money. Had not a report of raising the money occasioned an extraordinary demand, which in few days exhausted the money in bank and put a stop to payments, it would not have been easy in that scarcity of money to have got enough to support the bank, though many of the best credit had undertaken it. That report of raising the money having only occasioned a demand from the people in Edinburgh. In a short time, the notes would have come in so fast from the country that what money could have been got would not have answered the demand. If the Privy Council had lowered the money, the English crown to five shillings, and the other money proportion, to take place two pence per crown in three days, and the other three pence in a month, the occasion of the demand being removed, in all appearance, money would have been returned to the bank. If the state of the bank had been known or suspected by the people, such proclamation would have had the same effect. Those a stop payment had then happened. In that case, the support of the bank might have been the narrative of the proclamation. The security being good, fewer now would have kept their money to loss, rather than return it to the bank. And if in three days money had not come in so fast as expected, their lordships, by a second proclamation, might have lowered the crown to five shilling to take place then. And six pence more in three days. When the credit for the bank had been re-established, the money might have been cried up. If that had been necessary, the crowd five shillings and five pence, and the other money in proportion as it was before. Some are against all banks where the money does not lie pledged equal to the credit. First, they say the demand may be greater than the money in bank. And secondly, if we are declining in our trade or money, we are not at all or are less sensible of it. And if the bank fail, we are in a worse condition than before. To the first is answered: though the nation had no benefit by the addition of the bank next to the money, nor the people by being supplied with money when otherwise they could not, under the less interest. And though the proprietors had no gain by it, the other conveniences, as quicker and easier payments, etc., are more than equal to that hazard. Our banknotes, goldsmiths, and bankers' notes would not be preferred to money. Everybody knowing such a stop may happen to the bank, and that the goldsmiths and the bankers may fail. The other objection is the same as to say a merchant who had a small stock. And was capable of employing greater, if a sum were offered him without interest, equal to what he had, and more as his own increased, should refuse it, 
because he might fancy himself richer than he was, and if his own stock decreased, that sum lent would be taken from him. In fifteen thousand is supposed money in bank, and seventy-five thousand pound of notes out. Sixty thousand pound is added to the money of the nation, without interest. For what is paid by the borrowers is got by the proprietors. As the money of the nation increases, the credit for the bank increases, and the sum of notes out is greater. And so far from making the people less sensible of the condition of the country. A sure judgment of the state of trade money may be made from the books of the bank than any other way. If trade can be carried on with hundred thousand pound and balancing due by foreigners, the same measures and a greater quantity of money would make the balance greater. The noise that additional money the bank furnishes to be supposed will be lost if by balance due from trade the civil money increases. That credit may fail from an accident when money is plentiful, and would soon be recovered. It is only lost by scarcity of money. And such a credit may support trade in cases where without it, the trade would sink, but cannot do prejudice. Another objection is made against the bank that it encourages the exportation of money. By furnishing sums in such species as were of most value abroad, to answer this objection, I shall make a supposition: a B merchant has occasion for a thousand pound in Holland, and desires a CD banker to give him a bill for that value. There is no money due in Holland to Scots merchants, so CD must export the money to pay the bill he draws. But there being no bank. Nor any possibility of getting a thousand pound in forty pence pieces, he sends out money of different species. This does not hinder the money to go out, but makes the exchange dearer by two or three percent than it would have been if forty pence pieces could have been got. Also, no other money were left, but old marks. If a balance is due, and this will go out, though not worth ten pence. The exchange will be so much higher; the profit of exporting is the same, and so far from doing hurt to the country, the bank, by furnishing such pieces as could be exported to risk loss, kept the exchange two or three percent lower than otherwise it would have been, and saved yearly the sending out a considerable sum to pay a greater balance. The higher exchange would have occasioned. End of section five. Section six of Money and Trade Considered by John Law. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four, Part one. When I use the words "raising the money," I desire to be understood raising it in the denomination, for I do not suppose it adds to the value. There is no way silver can be made more valuable. But by lessening the quantity, or increasing the demand for it, if the export and consumption of silver be greater than the import, or the demand be increased, and silver will be of more value. If the quantity imported be greater than the quantity exported or consumed, 
or the demand listened, silver will be of less value. If raising or laying the money could add to its value or have any good effect on home or foreign trade, then no nation would want money. A hundred pound might be raised or laid to two, to ten, to a hundred times the denomination it had, or more as there were occasion. Parents decide just to raise or lay money, because then all contracts are paid with a lesser value than was contracted for, and as it has bad effects on home or foreign trade, so no nation practices it that has regard to justice or understands the nature of trade money. If A B sell twelve children of vitro for hundred pound payable in six months, with which he is to pay bills of exchange of that value, to be drawn on him then from France for one he has commissioned, and in that time the money is raised or allowed to double, the hundred pound A B receives will only pay half the bill he has to pay, being only equal to fifty pound of the money he contracted for. Nor with that a hundred pound buy the same quantity of goods of the country that a hundred pound bought before, and will pay where money is due and satisfy past contracts made upon the face of the public, because the prince says every man shall take half what is owing him in full payment. But in bargains to be made, the value of the money will be considered, and goods will rise, though perhaps not with the proportion the money is raised. And such persons as do not raise their goods equal to the money are imposed on. When sixpence is raised to twelve pence, the sixpence is worth twelve pence, but the value of the pence is lowered to half pence. To explain this matter better, I shall suppose when money is raised, goods rise or not. If the goods rise, then raising the money has not the effect designed. If a piece of serge is sold for forty shillings, and the shilling be raised to eighteen pence, the piece of serge will be sold for three pound. This adds to the tale of the money, and pays debts with two thirds of what is due, but does not add to the money. And this is the natural consequence of raising the money, for it is not the sale for the higher denomination, but the value of the silver is considered. If when money is raised and goods keep the prices they had before, then all goods exported are sold for lesser value abroad, and all goods imported are sold dearer. A half crown is raised to forty pence, and that half crown buys the same quantity of goods forty pence bought before. Then the merchant who sends goods to Holland to the value of three hundred pound, which are sold for three hundred ninety pound there, would gain two hundred twenty pound on the value of three hundred pound exported, because three hundred ninety pound in Holland would be equal to a worth by exchange at the par or cent in bullion five hundred twenty pound in Scotland. Then the trade would bring no more profit to the nation. Then, when the return of the goods yielded only three hundred ninety pound, for three hundred ninety pound before it was raised, had the same quantity of silver that the five hundred twenty pound raised money would have, and bought as great a quantity of foreign goods. But that trade would be so profitable to the merchant that more people would deal in it than could get goods to buy, 
and a small buyer's then sellers would raise the prices here, so one merchant and selling the other would lower the prices in Holland. But though the prices kept low here, and our merchants kept up the prices abroad, the Dutch, knowing the goods were so cheap in the country, would buy none from our merchants, but commission them in return of goods they sent. Suppose the yearly export first cost three hundred thousand pound, and sold abroad three hundred ninety thousand pound. The import and expense abroad four hundred ten thousand pound, and twenty thousand pound sent in money to pay the balance. The money raised one third, and goods to keep the prices they had before. Two hundred twenty-five thousand pound sent to Scotland in foreign money or goods or by exchange, would buy what was sold abroad for three hundred ninety thousand pound. The export, import, and expense abroad continuing the same, Scotland would be due a balance of hundred eighty-five thousand pound. For those goods, goods were sold at the value, yet other nations would not sell their goods for less than before. Or than they could have in other places. It may be alleged we have more product in the manufacture than is consumed or exported, and selling cheaper would occasion greater demand for goods abroad. The product and manufacture might be much increased if we had money to employ the people, but. I'm of opinion we have not any great quantity of goods, more than what is consumed or exported. A loss selling cheaper would occasion greater demand. That is, greater demand would occasion an increase in the product and the manufacture to the value of hundred thousand pound. Allow that the extraordinary cheapness of goods did not occasion greater consumption in the country. Yet, we would be in the same conditions before. Twenty thousand pound would be still due of balance, and the improvement would be given to foreigners for nothing. But this improvement is imaginary, for though the demand increased, yet without more money, more people could not be employed, so no further improvement could be made. We would be forced to return to near one half of the ordinary consumption of foreign goods and expense abroad, not having money to pay the great balance would be due. Some think foreign money being raised would bring in money to Scotland. Those a crown were raised to ten shilling, yet if balance due by Scotland, the exchange will be above the par, and it's not to be supposed an English merchant will bring crowns to Scotland when for a hundred paid in at London he can have a hundred five or six of the same crowns paid him at Edinburgh. If the balance of trade was equal, foreign money raised and Scots money not raised in proportion. Foreign money would be bought in, and a greater value of Scots money would be carried out. Tis the same loss to a country where money is raised and goods do not rise in proportion. If foreigners send in money to buy goods, and this money when exported is not valued so high as here, the return in goods will be so much less. Besides the want of the profit we would have had on the export of our goods. If all import and foreign expense were discharged, Scotland would then be so much richer as there was bullion or money imported. But if that prohibition be supposed, Scotland would be richer by keeping the money and the value it has. 
because a greater quantity would be brought in to buy the same quantity of goods. If it could be supposed to be without any commerce with other nations, a hundred pound may be allayed and raised to have the same effect in trade as a million. But if a stranger were suffered to come to Scotland, he might purchase a greater part of the land or goods with a small sum, and the rich man here would make a very small figure abroad. Money is a measure by which all goods are valued. And unless goods rise to the full proportion the money is raised, the goods are undervalued. If the yearly value of Scotland in product and manufacture be two millions, at twenty years' purchase, forty millions, the money a hundred thousand pound, raising the money twenty percent, makes it a pass for a hundred twenty thousand pound. Suppose the goods rise only ten percent. Then that one hundred twenty thousand pound is equal in Scotland to one hundred ten thousand pound of the money before it was raised, and buys the same quantity of goods. So an addition is made of twenty thousand pound to the tale, and of ten thousand pound to the value of Scots or foreign money, compared with the value of Scots goods. But the measure by which goods are valued, being raised in the denomination twenty percent, and the goods rising only ten percent. Scotland is near four million or one tenth less valuable than before. And any man who sells his estate will receive a tenth less silver, or of any other foreign goods for it, than if he had sold it before the money was raised. France and Holland are given as examples of raising and laying the money. In France, the money is higher in the denomination than in other countries. And that does not hinder the money of France to be exported. When the Louis was at twelve livres, the balance was against France, exchanged ten percent above the par. The hundred ten Louis at twelve livres were paid then at Paris, for a hundred Louis of the same weight of finance at Amsterdam, and passing there for nine guilders bank money. So ten percent was got by exporting money from France. When the Louis was raised to fourteen livres, that did not make the balance against France less. The exchange continued the same. Hundred ten Louis though, at fourteen livres, were paid for a bill of a hundred at Amsterdam, and the same profit was made by exporting money. If the exchange happened to be lower, it was from the balance of the trade due by France being less. And that would have lowered the exchange, whether the money had been raised or not. But the raising the money, so far from bringing the balance to the French side, and keeps the balance against the France. For as the goods do not rise to their full proportion, the money is raised. So French goods are sold cheaper, and foreign goods are sold dearer, which makes the balance greater, occasions greater export of money. Says idle, so many of the people as had money employed, less as the product or manufacture, the yearly value of the country, and the number of the people. He thought the Dutch coin Louis and sent them to France, where they passed at fourteen livres, and that the guineas were sent from Holland to England in the time of the clipped money, because they passed there for thirty shillings. 
and these people are misinformed. Ever since I have known anything of exchange, a door at Amsterdam, whether new or old, has been of more value by exchange than a new door at Paris. And at the time of the clipped money, a guinea in Holland was worth more by exchange than a guinea in England. These who were ignorant of the exchange might buy up guineas or doors to carry to England or France, but they would have got more by bill. There was a profit then upon exporting guineas and doors from England and France to Holland. The pound English at that time was given for eight guilders or under, and the exchange from Amsterdam to Paris has been these eight or ten years for the most part considerably above the par on the Dutch side. I have known the pound English at seven guilders thirteen stivers, and the French crown of three livres bought in Holland for thirty-seven stivers, in London for thirty-nine pence half penny. End of section six. Section seven of Money and Trade Considered by John Law. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four, part two. Raising the money in France is laying a tax on the people, which is sooner paid and thought to be less felt than a tax laid on any other way. When the king raises the louis from twelve livres to fourteen, they are taken in at the mint for thirteen livres and given out for fourteen. So the king gains a livre on the louis and this tax comes to twenty or twenty-five million of livres, sometimes more, according to the quantity of money in the country. But so far from adding to the money, it stops the circulation, a part being kept up till there is occasion to export it to Holland. For whence a return is made by bill of some of labor equal to the same quantity of new labor that were exported of old ones, and eight or ten percent more, according as the exchange is on the Dutch side. Others who won't venture to send the money out and keep it till the new money is cried down, so save a certain part, which the king would have got if they had carried the money to the mint to be recoined. And this tax falls heavy on the poorer sort of the people. Tis generally thought the Dutch money is not worth half what it passes for, but it will prove otherwise when examined. The bank by which most payments are made receive and pay in bank money, which is better than the English. Dagdowns are the three guilders, and other bank money in proportion. And I am informed the current money has silver in it to the value of near, except some of their scalings, which are worse than others. The making them worse was not designed. It was an abuse occasioned by too many towns having power to coin, which abuse was stopped so soon as known, and that species cried down to five stivers and a half. Some propose the money may be raised. To give the little we have left a better circulation, and to bring out hoarded money, the lowering it by degrees will take place in three or four months. We have the same effect, and other good consequences. For from what has been said, page fifty-four and fifty-five, 
that there is a reason to think if the money were lowered to the English standard, exchange would be on our side, and the balance due us, providing the export, the import, and expense abroad continued as now. There is another argument for raising the money, which is that some goods don't yield profit enough abroad, so are not exported. If soldiers worth in Scotland a hundred pound are worth hundred twenty in Holland, the merchant won't export them for twenty percent profit. But if the money is raised twenty percent, and the goods keep at the prices they had before, the same money that bought hundred pound of soldiers and buying now to the value of hundred twenty pound, and these goods being worth in Holland a hundred forty four pound. That addition to the profit by raising the money will occasion the export of them. This is the same as if a merchant who had a hundred different sorts of goods, and was offered thirty percent profit upon ninety of them, but nobody offering above twenty percent profit for the other ten sorts, should add a quarter to the measure by which he measured his goods, and sell all the hundred sorts for the same price he sold them before. As this merchant would find himself a considerable loser by this expedient, so will a nation who raises their money. For the same reason, it would be a greater loss to Scotland if all goods were allowed to be exported without duty, and some ought to be free of duty and some not, according to the value abroad. The true and safe way to encourage the export of such goods is to not yield good enough profit. Is by drawback. If soldiers sent to Holland give only twenty percent profit, ten percent given as drawback will encourage the export. The drawback given to the merchant is not a loss to the nation, and what is got by the manufacture or export of the goods is gained by the nation. A drawback is the best method yet known for encouraging trade, and it may be made appear that the ten or fifteen thousand applied that way. The occasion addition to the export to the value of a hundred thousand pound, nor is any part of that ten or fifteen thousand pound lost to the nation. For if A B and C Scotsman get such drawback, it is the same thing to the nation as if it had not been given. When drawbacks are paid out of funds for the support of the government, little money is applied that way, because so much is taken from the prince. But if there was a national fund for the encouragement of trade, that nation might improve trade, and undersell other nations that did not follow the same measures. But this is supposing there was money in the country to employ the people. Coining the plate were loss of the fashion, which may be valued for six, and would add little to the money. The plate at the restoration was inconsiderable. Having been called in a little before, since there may have been wood one year with another about sixty stone weight, of that a greater part has been melted down or exported. The remainder won't be of great value. What a plate has been imported belongs to a few men of quality, who will send it out of the country rather than lose the fashion, and in that they do a service to the country. Providing they don't spend it abroad, because wood plate will sell for more silver at London than it will melt to here. If it is proposed the money be allayed, 
and the advantage of the allay be given to the illness of the plate. Suppose the new money with allay be raised to double the denomination. Five shillings of plate with the fashion worth six shillings will give it the mint ten shilling allayed money. But even then the plate will not be brought in voluntarily. For that plate sold in England and the value bought back by bill will yield from eleven to twelve shilling exchange being above the par. And sixpence supposed to be got for the fashion of the ounce of plate. If it be necessary to coin the plate, such plate should be allowed to be exported as can be sold abroad for more than its weight, security being given to import money or bullion to the value. Some propose a regulation of the balance of trade by retrenching the consumption of foreign goods and expense England. So the balance being bought to be on our side, we may become rich by living within our yearly value, as we became poor by spending beyond it. Such regulation will have its difficulties. First, discharge all or a greater part of the import will lessen considerably the revenue of the crown, and Her Majesty may not seem good to give the royal assent to such a regulation, unless equivalent be given. And second. Such regulation would not be so strictly kept, but the part of what was used to be imported would be stolen. Third, the residents of our princes, being in England, were under the necessity of having ministry there, employments being at the disposal of the prince, the London being a place of more diversion than Edinburgh. The gentry will continue to go to London for places of pleasure, but allowing the royal assent for giving to such regulation. Either with or without an equivalent, and the regulation could be so strictly kept that nothing was imported contrary to that rule, and a large twenty thousand pound could be saved of the expense in England, so that the import expense abroad should be six thousand pound less than last year. Yet there are other difficulties that I feel will make the regulation ineffectual. First, suppose the balance last year due by us was twenty thousand pound. The import and expense abroad less than six thousand pound. Those who propose this regulation may think the balance will be due to us of forty thousand pound. But as the bank may have supplied us with six thousand pound of notes, more than the money in bank, and as twenty thousand pound is supposed to have been exported last year, so money being less than eighty thousand pound, the next year's export may be so much less valuable. The want of that money having set idle a part of the people were then employed, and a greater balance be due than last year, notwithstanding of the regulation. Second, forty thousand pound first class of goods imported, and twenty thousand pound spent abroad, lessened the consumption of the goods of the country, and the export was by so much greater that the consumption of the goods of the country was lessened. But this regulation occasioning a greater consumption of the goods of the country, the export will be less. Third, several merchants may have exported the goods, though they had not much profit upon the export of them, but because of the profit to be made upon the import, which being lessened, may likewise lessen the export. Fourth, if Scotland discharge or put a very high duty on the goods of other nations, other nations may discharge Scots goods. Allowing there were no difficulties in regulating the balance of trade, and that the same measures were followed as are followed in Holland, we would grow richer, but their riches would increase in the same proportion. 
and thirty years hence, Scotland would be as poor as now in comparison with Holland. If two countries equal in the product, people, etc., the world with a hundred thousand pounds of money and living within its yearly value, so that the first year a balance is due of twenty thousand pounds, the second year of twenty-five thousand pounds, and so on. The other country with twenty millions of money and consuming more than the yearly value, so that a million is sent out to pay the balance. The second year, a million two hundred thousand pound, and so on. And this country will be soon poor, and the other be soon rich. But if that people who has twenty millions of money will retreat in proportion to the other, they will be rich and powerful in comparison with the other. Considering how small a share we have of the money of Europe. How much trade depends on money? It will not be found very practicable to better our condition, but by an addition to our money. Or if it is practicable without it, it is much more so with it. The bank will add little to the money, for its credit is voluntary and it depends on the quantity of money in the country. And though the bank had never failed, yet it could not have kept its credit much longer. Because the quantity of money in Scotland is not sufficient to give a circulation to such a sum of notes, as will pay the charges of the bank and the interest to the owners. This thought, the proprietors of the bank desire to apply to the Parliament for further privileges, but as their desire is not yet made public, I shall only say in general that if other privileges are to be given, then it is not the same bank. At least not on the same establishment it was. In either of these cases, every person should be allowed to share in it. When a bank established, every person may have a share upon the terms of the Act of Parliament. And he that offers first is preferred. Suppose upon the setting up of the bank, A, B, and C did not subscribe to it, because they thought the establishment had not favorable enough. So long as they who did subscribe can support the bank upon the terms of the Act of Parliament, no will pretend to any share in it, unless the subscribers are pleased to sell. But if other privileges are given, A, B, and C, as any others of the country, may desire the books to be opened, that they be allowed to share in it, and any other set of men who offer the same security may at the same time be allowed to set up a bank with the same privileges. So every shire in Scotland will desire one, and if new privileges are given to this bank, it will hardship to refuse the same to others who are able and willing to give the same security, especially when the nation stands in need of more money than this bank would be allowed to give out. End of section seven. Section eight. Of money and trade considered, by John Law. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Part One. National power and wealth consists in numbers of people and magazines of home and foreign goods. And this depends on trade, and the trade depends on money. So to be powerful and wealthy in proportion to other nations, we should have money in proportion with them. For the best laws without money cannot employ the people, improve the product, or advance manufacture and trade. 
The measures have been used to preserve and increase money, or such as are not proposed, are attended with difficulties. And though the difficulties were removed, are ineffectual. They're not capable to furnish money so as to improve the country or extend the trade in any proportion to the improvements and the trade of other nations. Included that promises payment of money cannot well be extended beyond a certain proportion it ought to have with the money, and if you have so little money that any credit could be given upon it would be inconsiderable. It remains to be considered whether any other goods than silver can be made money with the same safety and convenience. From what has been said about the nature of money, Chapter One, it is evident that any other goods which have the qualities necessary in money may be made money equal to their value with safety and convenience. There was nothing of humor or fancy in making silver to be money, and it was made money. Because it was thought best qualified for that use, I shall endeavor to prove that another money may be established with all the qualities necessary in money in a greater degree than silver, with other qualities that silver is not, and preferable for that use. Though silver was a product of Scotland, and that by this money the people may be employed, the country improved, manufacture advanced, and trade domestic and foreign be carried on, and the wealth and power attained. What I propose, you I hope, be found safe and practicable, advantageous in general to Scotland and in particular to every Scotsman. But as I offer the proof that what I shall propose is more qualified for the use of money than silver, so before I come to the proposal, I shall show some defects in silver money and that it has not, nor does not answer the design of money. Money is the measure by which goods are valued, the value by which goods are exchanged. And in which contracts are made payable, money is not a pledge, as some call it. It's a value paid or contracted to be paid, with which it is supposed that the receiver may, as his occasions require, buy an equal quantity of the same goods he has sold, or other goods equal in value to them. And that money is the most secure value, either to receive, to contract for, or to value goods by. Which is least liable to a change in its value, and silver money is more uncertain in its value than other goods, so less qualified for the use of money. The power the magistrate has to order the money in its nomination or finance takes away the chief quality for which silver was made money. In countries where the money is often changed in the denomination or finance, it is more uncertain to contract for money than it was in the state of barter to contract for goods. If hundred ounces of silver are lent or contracted for, and a bond given for them denominated pounds, payable in a year, in that time half a crown is raised to a crown, and fifty ounces pays the hundred lent or contracted for. Though the magistrate did never order the money in the denomination or finance, yet it is more uncertain its value than other goods. In goods of the same kind and quality, differing value, from any change in the quantity or in the demand for them, in either of these cases, goods are said to be dearer or cheaper, be more or less valuable, and equal to greater or lesser quantity of other goods or of money. In silver in bullion or money changes its value from any change in its quantity or in the demand for it.
In either of these cases, goods are said to be dearer or cheaper. That is, silver or money is dearer or cheaper, being more or less valuable, and equal to a greater or lesser quantity of goods. Perishable goods, as cloth, etc., increase or decrease in quantity as the demand for them increases or decreases. So the value continues equal or near the same. Durable goods, as metals, materials for shipping, etc., increase in quantity beyond the demand for them, so are less valuable. Silver or money increases in quantity by so much as is imported to Europe. More than is consumed or exported, the demand has increased, but not in proportion to the quantity. For first, the same quantity of silver or money won't purchase the same quantity of goods as before. And secondly, ten percent was paid for the use of it. Now it is to be had at six, in Holland at three or four. An ounce of silver being worth five shillings two pence. And a crown for sixty pence, unless ordered by the prince, makes most people insensible of any change in the value of silver or money. But as one year the gold barley sold for two crowns, and the year after for three, this difference comes from a change in the quantity or demand of the barley or of the money, and that of the money will occasion a difference in the price as well as that of the barley. If last year a hundred sheep were sold for a hundred crowns, and the person sold them desires this year to buy the same number of sheep, though the quantity of the sheep and the demand for them be the same as last year, yet if the money is increasing quantity and the demand for it not increasing proportion, the hundred sheep will be equal in value to more money than the year before, so the money is cheaper. If the quantity of the money and the demand for it be the same as before, yet if the sheep are lesser in quantity or the demand for them greater, the hundred sheep will be equal to a greater quantity of money, so the sheep are dearer. So though the magistrate did never order the money, it is liable to change in its value as silver, from any change in its quantity or in the demand for it. And the receiver is doubly uncertain whether the money he receives or contracts for will, when he has occasion, buy him the same goods he has sold, or other goods equal in value to them, because a difference may happen in the value of the money or the goods he is to buy. And this uncertainty is, though both money and goods were certain in their quality, the difference of the prices of most goods from changes in their quantity. In the demand for them, would be much prevented if magazines were kept. But the difference in the prices from the greater or lesser quantity of or demand for money and cannot be prevented so long as silver is the money. That money is of much lesser value than it was will appear by the value of goods, land, and money had two hundred years ago. By the Act of the Council of Edinburgh, it appears that the end of 1495, the fees for wheat was six shillings and eight pennies Scots money the bowl. End of 1520, claret and white French wines were ordered to be sold in the taverns at six pennies Scots the pint, and ale at twenty pennies Scots the gallon. End of 1526. 
The mills belonging to the town were laid for four hundred mark scots. Now they give thirteen thousand. The petty customs at least then laid for a hundred fifteen marks. In fifteen thirty-two, the load of mould containing nine furlots was ordered to be sold at thirty-two shillings gods the load. In fifteen fifty-one, ordered that the best mutton bark be sold for twelve pennies scots, the second sold for ten pennies, and the fourth sold for eight pennies. In fifteen fifty-three, the nine furlots of mould old measure with a charity is ordered to be sold for thirty-six shillings gods. The land would breed to weigh forty ounces, and the town breed thirty-six ounces, the four penny of plug loaf. In 1555, the bakers ordered for each pot of wheat to deliver seven score loaves at sixteen ounces a loaf. By act of the fifth parliament of Queen Mary, in 1555, it is ordained that the wines imported upon the east and north coast shall not be sold dearer than twenty pounds Scots the ton of Bordeaux wine and sixteen pounds the ton of Rosse wine. The pint of Bordeaux wine ten pounds and the pint of Rosse wine eight pounds. And that of wine imported upon the west coast be sold no dearer than sixteen pounds Scots the ton of Bordeaux wine, and twelve or thirteen pounds the ton of Rochelle wine. Eight pennies the pint of Bordeaux wine, and six pennies the pint of Rochelle wine. So that what a fair pound bought two hundred years ago will not be bought now for a hundred pound. No goods in greater plenty or of less value than now. On the contrary, as these acts were made to regulate the prices of goods, it is reasonable to think they were in lesser quantity than now, proportion to the demand, so for more value. But the money having increased in quantity more than in demand, and having been ordered by the prince, is falling in value, and a hundred pounds now is not worth what a fair pound was worth before. Land may be computed to have been improved in two hundred years. That the world pays now two bowls the acre, paid them but one bowl, which may be known from old rentals. Money given in ten percent interest, in the three hundred eighty-four acres, and rented at bowl the acre, little at eight shillings and four pence the quarter. So the property of these acres was equal to or was hundred pound. A hundred pound gave ten pound interest. And the three hundred eighty-four acres paid only such a quantity of veto as was sold for ten pound. But as land, being preferable to money for many reasons, is valued now at twenty years' purchase, though money is at six percent, so that the land then may have been valued at fourteen years' purchase, or hundred forty pound. As the quantity of money has increased since that time, much more than the demand for it. And the same quantity of silver has received a higher denomination, so for consequence, money is of lesser value. A lesser interest is given for it. A greater quantity of it is given for the same quantity of goods, and the land is worth more years' purchase. The value of such land now, the acre rented at two bills, valued at eight pound six shillings and six pence, money at six percent, so land at twenty years' purchase. Would be eight thousand pound by this computation. Money is only worth the twentieth part of goods, and the fifty-seventh part of land it was worth two hundred years ago. Part of this difference is from the improvement made on land, and the greater demand for land, the quantity being the same, whereby its value is greater. The rest of the difference is from the money being more increased in quantity 
than in demand, whereby its value is lesser and its use lower, as likewise from its being altered in the denomination. There was then a greater quantity of silver in the same number of pence than there is now, which appears by a silver act of Parliament made about that time. And in 1375, in the eighth part of King James III, the ounce of silver was ordered to be sold for twelve shillings Scots, and twelve groats was made of the ounce of silver. The third of November 1554, by an act of the Town Council of Edinburgh, the ounce of silver was ordered to be sold at eighteen shillings and eight pence Scots, but these acts do not mention the fineness the silver was of. Suppose the same number of pence had twice or four times the value of silver in them that they have now, then silver is only fallen to one tenth or one fifth of the value it had to goods, and to one twenty eighth or one fourteenth of the value it had to land. But still money is fallen to one twentieth of the value it had to goods, and to one fifty seventh of the value it had to land. The manner of lending money in France, as suppose in other Roman Catholic countries, is by way of perpetual interest, redeemable by the debtor, and which the creditor may dispose or assign, but can never demand the principal, and is usually by law to take any interest for money if the creditor has power to call for the principal, though the term for payment be many years after the money is lent. Suppose the manner of lending in Scotland was the same two hundred years ago, and that A. B. having seven hundred sixty-eight acres of land, rented it above of Vito the acre, the yearly rent forty-eight trudel, at five pound Scots the trudel, twenty pound sterling. C. D. was a hundred pound in money to have lent it to A. B. and interest being at ten percent, to have received an annual interest of ten pound. Which he left to his son, and so he had provided sufficiently for him. Ten pound be equal to a worth twenty-four children of Vito, but interest being lowered to six percent, money being raised in the denomination and of less value by its greater quantity, the six pound now paid for the annual interest of that hundred pound is not worth one children of Vito. In the three hundred eighty-four acres, or the half of a Vinsland two hundred years ago, only equal to a hundred or hundred forty pound, is now worth fifty-seven times that sum. The rental supposed to be doubled, and its value at twenty years' purchase. End of section eight. Section nine of Money the Trade Considered by John Law. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Part Two. In France, it has been observed that about two hundred years ago, the same land was in thirty years worth double the money it was worth before. So land worth a hundred pound anno fifteen hundred was worth two hundred pound anno fifteen thirty, four hundred pound anno fifteen sixty, and so on. Till within these fifty or sixty years, it has continued near the same value. In England, twenty times the quantity of money is given for goods that was given two hundred years ago. In these countries, this sort goods have rose, but the goods have kept their value. This money has fallen. Most goods have increased in quantity, equal or near as the demand for them has increased. They are at or near the value they had two hundred years ago, 
land is more valuable by improvement producing to a greater value, and the demand increasing, the quantity being the same. And similar money are of less value, being more increasing quantity than in demand. Goods will continue equal in quantity they are now to the demand, or won't differ much. For the increase of most goods depends on the demand. If the quantity will always be greater than the demand for consumption in magazines, what is always a drag, so that the product will be lessened, and the land employed for some other use. If by scarcity the quantity be lesser than the demand, that demand will be supplied for magazines of former years. Or if the magazines are not sufficient to answer the demand, that scarcity cannot well be supposed to last above a year or two. Land will continue to rise in value, being yet capable of improvement, and as the demand increases, for the quantity will be the same. The silver will continue to fall in value as it increases in quantity, the demand not increasing in proportion, for the increase does not depend on the demand. And most people won't allow themselves to think that the silver is cheaper or less valuable. And so it appears plainly by comparing what a quantity of goods such a way to find silver bought two hundred years ago, and what a quantity of the same goods it will buy now. If a piece of one in France equal in value to twenty bales of oats there, that quantity of oats can never be worth more or less why, so long as the quality, quantity, and demand of both continues the same. But any disproportionate change in the quality, quantity, or demand will make the same quantity of the one. Equal to a greater quantity of the other. So, if a piece of wine in France equal to or worth forty crowns there, and if we always continue so, unless some disproportionate change happen in the quantity, quality, or demand of the wine or of the money, the reason is plain: why silver has increased more in quantity than in demand. The Spaniards bring us greater quantities into Europe as they can get water out of the mines, for they still valued. Though not so high, and as on our way coming to Britain, it will be of less value in Britain as it is in greater quantity in Europe. It may be objected that demand for silver is now greater than the quantity. It is answered: Though the demand is greater than the quantity, it has not increased in proportion with the quantity. Two hundred years ago, money of silver was at ten percent, now from six to three. If the demand had increased as much as the quantity, Money would give ten percent then, and be equal to the same quantity of beetle or other goods that have kept their value. If A B have a thousand pounds to lend, should offer it at ten percent interest, and desire to lend of two hundred forty dollars of beetle rent for his security, as was used to be given two hundred years ago. So no one regulates the interest of money. A B would find no borrowers on these conditions. Because silver have increased more in quantity than in demand, and the denomination being ordered, money is of less value and is to be had on easier terms. If the demand had increased in the same proportion for the quantity, and the money had not been raised, the same interest would be given now as then, and the same quantity of beetle to pay the interest. For money keeping its value, either sheet and fourpence would be equal to a quarter of beetle as it was then. If two thousand pounds was laid out on plate two hundred years ago, they saw that the loss on the plate was only the fashion and its interest. But if the two thousand pounds had been laid out on land, the rent of that land would be more than the value of that plate. The money of silver is so much falling from the value it had, 
Kenneth Gibbons' value for one half or two thirds more than its value of silver, abstract from its use as money. Suppose silver to be no more used as money in Europe, its quantity would be the same, and the demand for it much lesser, which might lower it to a third or more. For besides that the demand will be less, its uses as plate, etc., are not near so necessary as that of money. In goods given value, good for the other uses to be valuable, equal to what they are given for. A silver was bartered as it was valued for its uses as metal, and was at first given as money, according to the value it had in barter. A silver has acquired an additional value since. That additional use it was applied to occasioned a greater demand for it, which value people have not been sensible of. The greater quantity making it for more, but it has kept it from falling so low it would have fallen if it had not been used as money, and the same quantity had come into Europe. It is uncertain how long silver may keep that additional value. If England set up money of another kind. The silver will not fall to one third, because using other places as money, but the lesser demand, besides the ordinary fall from the greater quantity coming to Europe, would occasion an extraordinary fall, perhaps of ten percent. If the new money then in England did not increase beyond the demand for it, and if they keep its value and be equal to so much more silver at home or abroad than it was coined for. A silver would be of less value from the ordinary and extraordinary form. If England change their money, other countries may do the same. If Holland alone kept to silver money, the price of silver may be supposed to fall immediately fifty percent from the lesser demand for it as money. The hundred pound in Holland may worth no more than fifty pound new money in England, whether sent in specie or remitted by exchange. And as more silver came into Europe, it would fall yet lower because of its greater quantity. It may be projected that in Scotland, the quantity of goods are proportioned to the demand as they have been some years ago. The money is scarcer; the demand for it the same or greater. So, if goods and money are higher or lower in value from their greater or lesser quantity in proportion to the demand for them. Money should, by its great scarcity, be more valuable and equal to a greater quantity of goods. Yet goods differ little in price from what they were when money was in greater quantity. To this is answered: the value of goods or money differs, and the quantity of them or demand for them changes in Europe. What does it change in any particular country? And goods in Scotland are at or near the same value with goods in England. Being near the same in quantity in proportion to the demand there, money in Scotland is not above one fortieth part of the money in England, proportion to the people, land, or product, nor above a tenth part proportion to the demand. If Scotland was incapable of any commerce with other countries, and the state it is now, money here would buy ten times the quantity of goods it does in England or more. But as Scotland has commerce with other countries. Though money were much scarcer than now, or in much greater quantity than in England, if there were but a tenth of the public Scotland or a million, the value of goods would not differ above thirty percent from what they were abroad.
because for the difference, goods may be exported or imported. Prohibitions may raise the difference higher. Britannia language and others on trade and money. I have opinion that the goods in any country fall in value as money in that particular country grows scarcer. That if there was no more than five hundred pound in England, the yearly rent of England would not exceed five hundred pound, and an ox would be sold for a penny. Which opinion is wrong? First, the ox might be exported to Holland. It would give a price in England equal or near to that it would give in Holland. If money was supposed to be equally scarce in Holland and other places as in England, the ox might give no more than a penny. But that penny would have a value of an equal to five pound now, because it would purchase the same quantity of goods in England or other places that a five pound does now. The same answer may be given to these who think an addition to the money of any particular country would undervalue the so that the same quantity of goods would cost double the money as before. If the money in the credit card in England be fifteen millions, Scotland reckoned as one to ten. The money in Scotland increased to a million and a half. The demand in proportion to the demand in England. Then the debt to the money of Scotland. Do not make money of less value here than it is now in England. Goods in Scotland will sell their sale in England. The product of the country would perhaps be ten or twenty percent dearer to bring it equal to what it sells in England. But all sorts of manufacture would be cheaper because in greater quantity, and all goods imported would be cheaper. Money being easily borrowed, the merchants would deal for greater value. And the men of his states would be capacitated to trade, and able to sell at less profit. Nor would the land rise higher than in England, the buyer having his choice to buy elsewhere. The better security of a register may be supposed to add a year's purchase or two to the value. If the money of any particular country should increase beyond the proportion that the country bears to Europe, it would undervalue money there. Or according to the way of speaking, it would raise goods, but as money would be undervalued everywhere the same, or near to what it was there, it would be of great advantage to that country, though thereby money were less valuable, for that country would have the whole benefit of the greater quantity, and only bear a share of the lesser value, according to the proportion its money had to the money of Europe. When the Spaniards bring money or bullion into Europe, they lessen its value, but again by bringing it, could they have the whole benefit of the greater quantity, they only bear a share of the lesser value. What has been said proves first that the civil money is uncertain value, because liable to be altered in the finance or denomination by the prince. A crown has no more significance than half a crown or fifteen pence had a hundred and fifty or two hundred years ago. And secondly, that the silver it has fallen from the value it had, the same quantity not being worth the fifth or tenth part of what it was worth then. A moneyed man then worth a thousand pound was richer at that time than a landed man of two hundred and forty drawed of little rent. But the man of such money is dead. Do not now be worth one fiftieth part of such a land estate. And thirdly, that though fallen so much, yet it is given some money or sold as bullion.
for much more than its fellows metal, to which it will be reduced so soon as another man is set up. Considering the present state of Europe, of France and Spain being masters of the mines, the other nations seem to be under a necessity of setting up another money. The only reason can be given why it has not yet been done is that the nature of money is not being widely understood, or they would not have continued buying silver from Spain above its value as metal when they had more valuable money of their own, and they would be more fitted for that use. The receivable silver can have no greater hopes that the value it will be greater, for it is not to be supposed it will be applied to any other uses than it is now applied to, whereby the demand for it may be increased. All that the quantity exported and consumed will be greater than the quantity imported. And though it be scarce in any particular country, yet the money the mill will have no great benefit by such scarcity, as has been shown. For unless the scarcity is the same in all places with which the country trades, money will not be valued much higher there than in other countries. If it is alleged that the mines in the West Indies may fail, it is the interest of the Spaniards to give out that their mines begin to fail, to keep up the price of silver. But if that were true, France ought not to have engaged herself in a war, when by the partition treaty she could have got any other parts of that monarchy that are valuable. Allowing the mines to fail, we ought the rather to provide ourselves with another money. End of section 9section 10 of money and the trade considered by john law this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter 6 i did not intend to have said anything about the doctor's proposal that affair having been referred to a committee who are to make the report but several people who are of opinion that the doctor's proposal is not practicable being against what i am to propose because they think is the same with his in some other dress. I thought it needful to give a short account of the doctor's proposal and in what I differ from him. His proposal is to give out the notes upon land, to be cancelled by yearly payments of about two and a quarter percent for forty five years, and that these notes be current as silver money to the value they are coined for. If notes given out of that manner, were equal in value to silver money, then every landed man in Scotland would desire a share of this great and certain advantage. Though I don't see how it is practicable to give every landed man a share. Supposing the practicable, forty-five years' purchase in these notes will not be of so much value as twenty years' purchase of silver money. No anticipation is equal to what a word is. A year's rent now is worth fifteen years' rent thirty years hence, because that money laid out at interest by that time will produce so much. And though the Parliament would force these notes, yet they would not have currency, any more than if the government coined pieces of gold equal in weight and fineness with a guinea, and ordered them to pass for five pounds. These bills are proposed to be repaid and cancelled in term of years without paying any interest, but only so much as would defray the charges of the office, which would not be above one half percent. There would then be many lenders, 
but I feel if any borrows, except from the land bank. First, if the landed man borrows of the moneyed man, he would satisfy his creditor, have bills to lend. The moneyed man would likewise have of these bills to lend, but there would be no borrows. Or if any desire to borrow, they would have these bills at a very low use. Suppose the two percent, then these bills would be considerably less valuable than silver. Anything that is proposed to have a currency as money is given for lesser interest than silver money will be of less value. It is not to be supposed any person will lend silver money to two percent when they can have six percent in England. So hundred pound of silver money will yield as much as three hundred pound of these bills would. The hundred pound in silver be equal to three hundred pound in bills. The six pound, the hundred pound of silver yields being silver, and the six pound, the three hundred of bills yields being paid in these bills, and the one pound of silver being worth three pound in bills. So the six pound interest of the hundred pound in silver would be equal to eighteen pound, or the interest of nine hundred pound in bills. In the dough they were given out to be repaid in twenty years, at five percent for that time, or in ten years, at ten percent, they would not be equally valuable with silver. Difference would not be so great as when given out for forty-five years. The advantage the nation would have by the doctor's proposal is. That those is not the sale under the value of silver money, and the five hundred pound in notes were only equal to a hundred pound in silver. Yet the nation would have the same advantage by that five hundred pound in notes, as if an addition of hundred pound had been made to the silver money. So far as this bills the sale under the value of the silver money, so far would exchange with other countries be raised, and if goods did not keep their price, that is. They did not sell for a greater quantity of these bills, equal to the difference betwixt them and the silver. And goods exported would be undervalued, and goods imported would be overvalued, as has been explained, page forty-three and forty-four, about exchange. The landed man would have no advantage by this proposal, unless he owed a debt. But though he received fifty pounds of these bills. For the same quantity of victual he was in use to receive, ten pound of silver money, yet that fifty pound would only be equal in value to ten pound of silver, and purchase only the same quantity of home or foreign goods. The landed man who had his rent paid him in money would be a great loser, for by as much as these bills were under the value of silver, he would receive so much less than before. The landed man who owed the debt would pay his debt with less value than was contracted for, but the creditor would lose what is the debt gained. Doctor C seems to be offended at my meddling in this affair, having, as he says, borrowed what I know of the subject from him. Two persons may project the same thing, but so far as I can judge, what I am to propose is different from his. Now, what I had formed a scheme of several years before I had seen any of his papers, which I can prove, if that were necessary, by persons worth I then showed it to. I have not, to my knowledge, borrowed anything from Doctor C. Land indeed is the value upon which he found his proposal, and is upon land that I found mine. 
If for that reason I have encroached upon his proposal, the Bank of Scotland may be said to have done the same. There were banks in Europe long before the doctor's proposal, and the books have been written on the subject before and since. The foundation I go upon has been known so long as money has been lent on land, and so long as a heritable bond has been equal to a quantity of land. Whether the structure he or I have built upon that foundation be most safe, advantageous, and practicable, the Parliament can best judge. Doctor C's proposal is by anticipation to make a land worth fifty or hundred years' purchase. The maintenance at a hundred pounds to be paid yearly for ten, fifty, or hundred years, as value paid for a thousand, five thousand, or ten thousand pounds of bills, and that these bills will be equal to silver money. If he can satisfy the nation that his proposal is practicable, he does a very great service. And gives a certain advantage to the landman, without ruining the money the man. I have shown the reasons why I think the proposal is not practicable, that notwithstanding any act of Parliament made to force its bills, they would fall much under the value of silver. But allowing they were at first equal to silver, it is next to impossible that two different species of money shall continue equal in value to one another. Everything receives value from its use, and the value is rated according to its quality, quantity, and demand. Though goods of different kinds are equal in value now, yet they will change their value from any unequal change in their quality, quantity, or demand. And as he leaves it to the choice of the debtor to pay in civil money or bills. He confines the value of the bills to the value of the silver money, but he cannot confine the value of the silver money to the value of the bills, so that these bills must fall in value as silver money falls, and may fall lower. Silver may rise above the value of these bills, but these bills cannot rise above the value of silver. What I shall propose. Is to make money of land equal to its value, and the money to be equal in value to silver money, then not liable to fall in value as silver money falls. Any goods that have the qualities necessary in money may be made money equal to their value. Five ounces of gold is equal in value to twenty pound, and may be made money to that value. An acre of land rented at two bushels a bushel. The value at eight pound and the land at twenty years' purchase is equal to twenty pound. Then maybe made money equal to that value, which has all the qualities necessary in money. And that acre of land cannot be called to the value of fifty pound, no more than the five ounces of gold. And though the five ounces of gold, the twenty pound of silver money, and the acre of land be now equal in value, yet they cannot well continue so. First, I have shown already any disproportionate change in the quality, quantity, or in the demand of the either of them will make the same quantity of the one equal to greater or lesser quantity of the others. Land is what, in all appearance, will keep its value best. It may rise in value, but cannot well fall, and gold or silver are liable to many accidents. 
Your body value may lessen, but cannot be rising value. End of section ten. Section eleven of Money and Trade Considered by Zhong Lu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven, part one. To supply the nation with money, it is humbly proposed that forty commissioners be appointed by Parliament, answerable to Parliament for their administration, and the administration of the officers under them. The nomination of these officers. Been left to the commissioners, that the commissioners have power to coin notes, which notes to be received in payments be offered, and that the committee of parliament be appointed to inspect the management, and that none of the commissioners be members, and that the commission and committee meet twice a year at a week Sunday and Martinmas, their meetings to begin ten days before. To continue ten days after each term, there are three ways humbly offered to the Parliament for giving out these notes. They, in their wisdom, may determine which will be most safe. First, to authorize the Commission to lend notes on land security, the date not exceeding one half or two thirds of the value, and it is in ordinary interest. Second. To give out the full price of land, as it is valued, twenty years' purchase more or less, according to what it would have given in civil money, the commission enter into possession of such lands, by what is said granted to the commission or assignees, the redeemable betwixt and the expiring of a term of years. Third, to give the full price of land upon sale made of such lands. And is bound to the commission or signers irredeemably. That any person shall have such bonds, watersets, or estates assigned or disbound to them, upon paying the value to the commission. That the commission don't receive other money than these notes. That no person who has contracted for these notes shall be obliged to receive silver or metal money. That the commission have not the power to coin more than fifty thousand pounds at a time, that no more be coined so long as there is twenty-five thousand pounds remaining in the office. That for a year and a half the commission be limited to a certain sum. After that time, have power to coin whatever sums are demanded, unless restricted by ensuing parliaments. That these who desire to have money from the commission. Giving a note to the lawyers for the commission, a month before the term, of what sums they want, with the rights of the lands they offer in pledge, and that these who have notes to pay in to the commission, give warning ten days before the term, that the state of the commission, the sum of the notes coined, the debt and credit, with the highest number of the different notes. Be published every term. That any person who shall discover two notes of the same number, or of a higher number than this published, and shall have a hundred pound reward. That the end officers be entrusted with a sum of twenty thousand pound to change notes with, 
and out of the attendance the whole year, that any member of Parliament may inspect the state of the commission, that no notes be coined, money lent, or rights assigned by the commission, but it is the terms of which Sunday the Martimus, and in presence of at least twenty commissioners, and one third of the committee, that the revenue of the commission or what pays the charges, and what part of the Parliament thinks needful to make good any losses may happen to the Commission, be applied by way of drawback, for encouraging the export and the manufacture of the nation. That paper money do not rise more than ten percent above silver money, so that he who contracts to pay in paper may know what he is to pay in case he cannot get paper money. The Parliament may enter into a resolve that in the next sessions of this or the next ensuing Parliament, the state of the Commission be taken into consideration, preferable to all other business. And if found hurtful to the country, the Parliament may discharge any more notes to be given out, and order wooden notes either out to be called in. That after three months from the date of the Act, Scots and foreign money be reduced to the English standard. The English crown was sixty pence, and the other money proportioned to its value of silver. The forty pence to thirty-eight pence, the new mark to thirteen pence and one twelfth, the old mark to its weight, the dagadons to sixty-eight pence, dollars to their weight, guineas not to pass twenty-two shillings. Then, after four months, no Scots money, except what shall be coined after the Act, nor any foreign money except the English money, be received in any payments, or be sold as bullion, but it is a mint. That for what old money or bullion is bought to the mint, the mint return to the full value in new money of twelve pence, six pence. And three pence pieces, of eleven deniers fine, the twelve pence of three drops three grains weight, the other pieces to weigh in proportion, the expense of coinage to be paid out of the funds appropriated to that use. That first three months after the act, the new money passed for thirteen pence, six pence and half penny. And three pence a quarter. That after three months, bullion and road plate be of eleven deniers fine, and five shillings and two penny the ounce of silver, good not to pass four pound. The paper money proposed to be equal in value to silver, for it will have a value of land pledged equal to the same sum of silver money that it is given out for. If any losses should happen. When force of the revenue of the commission will, in all appearance, be more than sufficient to make them good, this paper money will not fall in value as silver money has fallen, or may fall. And goods of money fall in value if the increase in quantity or if the demand lessens. But the commission giving out what sums are demanded, and taking back what sums are offered to be returned. This paper money will be keep its value, 
and there will always be as much money as there is occasion, or employment for, and no more. If a contract for paper money could be satisfied by paying the same quantity of silver money, then neither paper money could not rise above the value of silver, and would fall with it. But as paper money is a different species from silver, so it will not be liable to any of the changes that silver money is liable to. Though the Parliament could give silver money to the people in as great a quantity as there were occasion, the Parliament could not justly know what sum would serve the country for the demand changes. If the quantity of money is less than the demand, the landed man is wronged. For a hundred pounds then being more valuable, we buy a greater quantity of the landed man's goods. If the quantity of money is greater than the demand, the money in the man is wronged. For a hundred pounds then is not so valuable, so we not buy the same quantity of goods a hundred pounds bought before. If the commission do not give out the money when it is demanded, where good security is offered, it is a hardship on the person who is refused. And a loss to the country, for few, if any, borrow money to keep by them, and if employed, it brings a profit to the nation, though the employer loses. If the commission did not take back what sums were offered to be returned, it were hardship on the moneyed man, who has a sum paid him, and does not know how to employ it, and the quantity being greater than the demand for it. Would fall in value. After the method proposed, the quantity being always equal to the demand for it, it will keep its value and buy the same quantity of goods fifty years hence as now, unless the goods alter in the value from any change in the quantity or in the demand for them. Suppose this commission had been established two hundred years ago. Land then at fourteen years' purchase, money at ten percent, veto at eight shillings and four pence the trader, and paper money to have been given out upon land. Eight shillings and four pence of that paper money will now have been equal to trader veto, and to eight pound six shillings and four pence silver money, because silver money have increased in quantity, more than the demand. And having been altered in the denomination, has fallen to one twentieth of the value it had then. Nor would the landed man have received less for his veto than now. For that paper money would have bought him twenty times the quantity of goods a silver money will buy. Land has a more certain value than other goods, for it does not increase in quantity, or other goods may. The uses of goods may be discharged. Or by custom be taken from them, and given to other goods. The use of wood may be taken from oats and wholly given to wheat. The use of money may be taken from silver and given to land. The use of plate and the other uses of silver's metal may be taken from silver and given to some other metal, or some mixture that may be more fitted for these uses. In any of these cases, these goods lose part of their value, proportion to the uses are taken from them, but the land cannot lose any of its uses, 
First, everything is produced by land, so the land must keep its value, because it can be turned to produce the goods that are in use. If wheat is more used and oats less, as the land can produce both, it will be turned to produce what is most used, because most valuable. This money will not receive any additional value from being used as money. So the receiver will be certain he can be no loser. Though after term of years, the use of money is taken from it. The land will receive an additional value from being used as the pledge upon which the money is issued. And that additional value would be greater than what the silver received, because the land be used as a pledge to issue out money upon. It now with other uses would be taken from it. A silver cannot be used as money and paid at the same time. But as land is in greater quantity, then there will be occasion for to give out money upon. So the additional value it receives will not be near so great as that silver money has received. Suppose the additional value land received for one fourth. The land now at twenty years purchase would then be at twenty-five years purchase. If the parliament called in the paper money, he who had the paper money could be no loser by it. Though the land lost the additional value, for no more of it is given out than the value of the land abstracted from its use as money. Whereas if silver was no more used as money, he who had silver would lose a half or two thirds. And silver falling then to its value as metal. So that this paper money proposed, having a better value than silver, and receiving no addition to its value from being used as money, and not being liable to any change in its value, the quantity and the demand increase and decrease together. It is so far more qualified to be the measure by which goods are valued, the value by which goods are exchanged. And in which contracts are made payable. End of section eleven. Section twelve. Money and trade considered by Zhong Lu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In chapter seven, part two. And the other qualities necessary in money are: first, easy of delivery; second. The same value in one place to what it is in another, and third, to be kept without loss or expense. Fourth, to be divided without loss. Fifth, to be capable of a stamp. Paper money has these qualities in a greater degree than silver. First, it is easy of delivery. Five hundred pounds in paper may be paid in less time than five pounds in silver. And second. It is nearer the value in one place to what it is in another, and being of easier carriage. And third, it can be easier kept and taken by less room, and without loss, because it may be exchanged in the office. Consumption of paper is not of so much value as the consumption of silver. The consumption of the paper is a loss to the office. The consumption of silver is a loss to the owner. And first, it can be divided without loss, because it may be changed for lesser notes in the office. And fifth, it's capable of a stamp, the least liable to be counterfeit. In the practice, most trading nations confirms 
and paper is more qualified for the use of money than silver, providing it has value. In Holland, silver is pledged, and paper is used as money. That the land pledge is better value than silver pledged is evident from what has been said. In England, before the bank was set up, goldsmith notes were received in payments preferable to gold or silver, which shows that the paper money had all the qualities necessary in money, so much more than gold or silver, as to equal the danger of goldsmiths breaking, of which there were many examples. Mr. Locke paid the servants on interest of money. Says that when goldsmith's credit, the yearly note under one of his servants' hands, went for above eleven hundred thousand pounds at a time. The note the bank Scotland went, though there was no money in the bank, though the acceptance was voluntary, the security for the paper proposed will be as good. The administration may be more safe and satisfactory than that bank or any other private bank. Because it's more public, the commission has not any share of the profits. Besides, it will not be liable to the other banks are liable to, from the sale of shares. And it seems strange that the administration of such a commission should be doubted, and the Parliament has the nomination of the managers, and the managers are to be counted out as Parliament, and the trust will be so small, for more notes cannot be called so long as only five thousand pound is in the office. A committee of parliament is to be appointed to inspect the management. The books are to be open to the inspection of any member of parliament. The state of the commission is to be published in print. Since the notes of the bank went upon a voluntary acceptance, and though there was no money in the bank, it is reasonable to think the paper money proposed would at least have the same currency. Being current by law does not make it less valuable. He went to the bank notes. Could not be sure the bank would be in a condition to give money for them, and the person he was to pay money to might refuse them. So he was more uncertain than if they had been counted by law. The silver money being to fall betwixt eight and nine percent in three months, it is not to be supposed that silver would be preferred to paper money, since the notes of the bank in which the paper upon the silver fund invented the ordinary interest. The dollar receiver was not certain of the money at the time it was promised, or that the person he was owing to would receive it. It may be objected that the paper went because silver could be got for it when demanded, or at a certain time. Then it was very reasonable, but it would not be so in this case. The security pledged for that paper money was silver. The security pledged for this paper money is land. This money has no relation to gold or silver more than to other goods, and it were more extravagant to say, "I won't take hundred pounds of such paper money for the goods I sell, because I'm not sure if six months hence it will buy me such a quantity of silver, or silver may go dearer." As it would be to say now, "I won't take hundred pounds in silver for the goods I sell, because I'm not sure if six months hence." It will buy me such a quantity of wine, for wine may go dear. Four crowns formed by a guinea, though they were coined for the same value, were no longer by the tenth part of goods four crowns bought two hundred years ago. But the silver is very serious value, and contracted for, though its value lessens every year, though it is not perhaps worth above a third of what it is given or contracted for, 
abstract from the use of money. In this paper proposed will not only keep its value, the increase of the quantity depending on the demand, and the quantity decreasing as the demand decreases, but likewise the land pledge is as valuable as the paper given out, abstract from its use as money, and increases in value. The objection may be made against simple money, and with good reason, for it affords faster its value than other goods, and may soon be reduced to its value as metal. The paper money proposes equal to itself, but to continue equal to such quantity in other goods, is to have a quality that no goods can have, but that depends on the changes in these other goods. It is better and a more certain value than silver money. And all the other qualities necessary in money in a much greater degree, with other qualities that the silver has not, and is more capable of being made money than anything yet known. Land is what is most valuable, and what increases in value more than other goods. So the paper money issued from it will, in all appearance, not only keep equal to other goods, but rise above them. Because it is extraordinary scarcity of silver is gotten. And the inclination people have to it, from its having been long used as money, it may be necessary to restrict its price to five shillings and two pence the ounce. And it will so fall from that value of paper, if it come in greater quantity into Europe, and then is exported or consumed. In supposing Ireland belonging to one man, the number of tenants a hundred, each tenant a tenant family, in all a thousand. While this the island is labelled, Part of the product of corns, the rest for pasturage. Besides the tenants and their families, there are three hundred poor or idle who live by charity. There is no money, but the rents are paid in kind. If one tenant has more of one product and less of another than his family has occasion for, he barters with his neighbor. The people of this island know nothing of manufacture. The island being plentiful. Furnishes enough for their consumption, and overplus which they exchange on the continent for clothes and for other goods they want. Since the overplus is only sufficient to make a return of such a quantity of goods as they consume yearly, so they have no magazines of their own or foreign goods to serve them in bad years, nor no magazines of arms, ammunition, etc., for their defence. It is proposed to the proprietor. And if money was established to pay the wages of labor, the three hundred poor might be employed in manufacturing such goods as before were exported in product. And if a thousand with labor the ground for idle one half of their time, they might be employed so that their additional labor would be equal to that of five hundred more, which would lessen their import by providing them with part of such goods as before they bought from the continent. And raise the export of three or four times the value it had, the return of which would furnish them with greater quantities of foreign goods than they wanted for consumption, which might be laid up in magazines. The money proposes after this manner: the proprietor to coin pieces of paper a figure number one, number two, and so on; number four to be equal to a certain measure of coin. The poor and other laborers would be satisfied to take number four for the wages of a day's labor, providing they be so contrived that number four purchases them the measure of corn. For that corn can be bartered with other goods, so number four would purchase an equal value of any other goods.
To make number four equal to that measure of core, the proprietor calls his tenants together, tells them for the future he will have his rented pet in paper, so renews their leaves. And if a hundred measures of core was paid, they obliged themselves to pay him number four hundred. The other kinds the proprietor was paying are valued, according to the value they had in barter with coal. The leaves made for paper. The proprietor coins paper to the value of a year's rent, employs such as are willing to work, and gives them paper money as the price of their labor. The tenant gives coal or any other goods he has to the laborers for paper money, and the proprietor receives it for his rent. But as the consumption of the laborer may be supposed to be only equal to number two, so the tenants cannot get the whole sum issued by the proprietor, and consequently not enough to pay their rent. If this were not remedied, the laboring man being masters of the remaining part of the paper, and having no occasion for more goods from the tenants, he might raise the value of the paper. To prevent this, the proprietor calls a greater quantity which brings a part of the poor and idle of the continent to the island, locations a greater consumption, whereby the tenants are able to pay their rent in paper or is contracted for. The addition to the people is an advantage to the island, for it adds to the power of the island, and their labor is worth double what they consume. And this money, though it has no value but what its proprietor gives it, by receiving it in payments of his rent, yet it will be esteemed equal to the product paid before. If the proprietor would give it value in land, computing after this manner, an acre of land pays number hundred, and a twenty years' purchase worth number two thousand, and is pawned the property of land for paper at that value, we would not be satisfied to receive a contract for that money, since it not only bought as a product, but the property of land at a reasonable price. Money is not the value for which goods are exchanged, but the value by which they are exchanged. The use of money is to buy goods, and silver, while money, is of no other use. Though silver were our product, and it is not so proper to be made money as land, land is what produces everything. Silver is only the product. Land does not increase or decrease in quantity, as silver and other product may. So land is more certain its value than silver or any other goods. Land is capable of improvement, and the demand for it may be greater, so it may be more valuable. Now silver cannot be supposed to be applied to any other uses than it is now applied to. Or that the demand will increase more than the quantity. Land cannot lose any of its uses, so will not be less valuable. And silver may lose the use of money it is not applied to, so be reduced to its value as metal. It may likewise lose part of its uses as metal, and this use is being supplied by other goods, so loses a part of its value as metal. But nothing can supply the uses for land. Land may be conveyed by paper, and thereby has the other qualities necessary in money, in a greater degree than silver. Land has other qualities fitting for the use of money, 
the receiver has not. Land applied to the use of money does not lose any of the other uses it is applied to. A receiver cannot serve the use of money and any of its other uses as metal. When trade and money depend mutually on one another, when trade decays, money lessens. And when money lessens, when trade decays, power and wealth consists of numbers of people, the magazines of foreign and foreign goods. And this depend on trade, and the trade on money. So while trade and money may be affected directly and consequentially, that which is hurtful to either must be so to both. And power and wealth will be precarious. If money is established that has no intrinsic value, any its extrinsic value to be such as it will not be exported, nor will it be less than the demand for it within the country, wealth and power will be attained, will be less precarious. Money not being liable to be lessened directly, nor consequentially, and the trade not liable to decay consequentially. So the power and wealth of that country will only be precarious from what may be directly hurtful to trade. The paper money proposed being always equal in quantity to the demand, the people will be employed, the country improved, manufactured advanced, and trade domestic and foreign will be carried on, and the wealth and power attained, the not being liable to be exported, the people will not be set idle, etc and the growth and power will be less precarious. End of section 12 Section 13 of Money and Trade Considered by John Law This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7, Part 3 From whence it is evident that the land is more qualified for the use of money than silver and preferable for the use to silver for the product of Scotland, being more certain its value, and having the qualities necessary money in a greater degree, with other qualities that a silver has not, so more capable of being the general measure by which goods are valued, and the value by which goods are exchanged, and in which contracts are taken. If two thousand pounds of paper money is equal to the property of land worth two thousand pounds in silver, then that two thousand pound of paper money is equal to two thousand pound of silver. What buys land will buy everything the land produces, and what buys the product of land will buy all other goods with the home of foreign. If wine is bought from France, the merchant desires to lay out his money on goods, at interest, or on land. The commission does not receive civil money. So he cannot have a bond from the commission unless he give the value in paper. And many of the landed men won't take silver for their goods or lands, having occasion for paper to pay the commission. So the merchant will choose to sell his wines for paper money, because it will purchase him goods, bonds, or lands where silver money will be equally valuable, and in cases where silver money will not. In this supposing silver were equally qualified for the use of money as land is, but the silver is an uncertain value and is given for much more than its value as metal 
It has not all the qualities necessary in money, nor in so great a degree as paper money. So paper money will, for these other reasons, be preferred to silver. Some object that the paper money, though upon a good fund and current in the country, it will not be valued abroad, equal to what it was in Scotland. The goods of Scotland will always be valued abroad, equal to goods of the same kind and goodness. And that money, though paper, which buys goods in Scotland, will buy goods or money other places. If a thousand pounds in surges, linen cloth, etc., be worth abroad all charges paid a thousand three hundred pounds, the merchant who exports such goods will give a bill for that money at the par, having a thousand three hundred pounds for what cost him a thousand. When a nation establishes money, If the money they set up have a value equal to what it is made money for, and all the other qualities necessary in money, they ought to have no regard what value it will have in other countries. On the contrary, as every country endeavors by laws to preserve their money, if that people can contrive money that will not be valued abroad, they will do what other countries have by laws endeavored in vain. No nation keeps to silver because it is used in other countries. It is because they can find nothing so safe and convenient. And trade betwixt nations is carried on by exchange of goods. And if one merchant sends out goods of less value than he brings home, he has money furnished him abroad by another who brings home for a less value than he sent out. If there is no money due abroad. Then the merchant who decided to import for a greater value than he exported is restricted, and can only import equal to his export, which is all the many laws to regulate the trade have been endeavoring. It is objected that we are under necessity of having goods from countries who will take none of us. France does not allow money to be exported, nor any ship to import goods. Unless French goods are exported from the same port to the value of the goods which were imported, by our law we are forbidden to export money. But as I do not think the example of nations a good answer, I shall endeavour to give a better. Suppose the money is not valued abroad, and we have occasion for goods from Denmark, who takes none of ours, these goods being necessary here will be valued higher than other goods that are not so necessary. And the value of Scots goods sold in other countries will be carried to Denmark in such goods as will sell there, or in foreign money, and these necessary goods be brought home, because the trader makes greater profit by them than by such goods as could have been imported from that country, where the goods exported were sold. But this addition to the money will employ the people who are now idle. And this now employed to more advantage, so the product will be increased, and the manufacture advanced. If the consumption of the nation continues as now, the export will be greater, and the balance due to us. And as the exchange depends on the balance, so paper money here will be equal to a greater quantity of silver money abroad. Suppose the yearly value of Scotland a million and a half. The yearly value of England forty millions. The value of Scotland is only about one twenty-eighth part of the value of England.
You know the quantity and the quality of the lands, and the numbers of people considered. Scotland will be at least as one to six, and if there was money to employ the people, we would be as one to six, for we have advantages peculiar to us that do more than equal the plantation and the East India trades. England is not improved so fast as might be by a greater quantity of money. We may have money equal to the demand by applying land to that use. So a country may be improved above the proportion of one to six, but if the proposed addition to money improved the country only so as to bear a proportion with England of one to thirteen, our yearly value would be three millions, and our consumption not being half what the same number of people consume in England. If the consumption continued as now, the balance due to Scotland would be greater than the balance due to England. And this addition to a yearly value may be thought by some people a supposition that's extravagant. Under these artists, people will consider what consequences the plenty of money has had in other places. As the money for England has increased, the yearly value has increased, and as the money has decreased, the yearly value has decreased. I don't doubt but that the paper money proposed to be given out equal to the demand would bring the yearly value of Scotland to three millions. Though the fish and the other branches of foreign trade, which might be improved to a great advantage, were neglected, but I suppose the yearly value increased only half a million, of which a fourth spent in the greater consumption of the product and manufacture of the country, a fourth in the greater consumption of foreign goods. An expensive board, a fourth laid up in magazines of foreign goods, a fourth would still be due of balance and bought home in silver. If the consumption expense increased equal to or beyond the improvement, as the paper money could not be exported, so the people would not be set idle, nor the manufacture decay, that money being like an estate entailed, we might continue to consume equal to the yearly value. But could not lessen the yearly value, nor be poorer if we would. If a greater value of goods was imported than was exported, and credit given for the balance, foreigners to pay themselves would send less of the goods the year after. But such restrictions may be put on the consumption of our own and foreign goods, as may make a balance due. The revenue of the commission. Will be a greater help towards the advancing of trade in its infancy. What encourages the export of goods encourages the manufacture of them, and that money gives a drawback. Will not only encourage the export and manufacture, but likewise regain the reputation our goods have lost, and give them a better reputation than the goods of other nations. The drawback ought not to be given to all goods. But to such as do not yield a reasonable profit abroad, in the poor condition they are found sufficient. The seal of the office of drawback ought to be applied to these goods that receive the drawback, and this instructed for the drawback should give security to pay the price of such goods, with all charges, if found insufficient. When manufacture and trade prosper. The land demands rent is well paid.
and increases. When they decay, his venous yield and decreases. A drawback is so effectively to encourage and promote manufacturing trade that it would lend man's interest to tax themselves, rather than a drawback should not be given where it is necessary. A drawback is more necessary here than in other countries, for we do not manufacture so well as other nations. We are not able to sell for the same profit, our stocks being much smaller, and the goods of other nations will be preferred to us, because our goods are suspected. Some object that this proposal is new and has not been practiced in any nation. And the example of another nation would not determine us to follow the same measures without examining whether that nation was the better or the worse by such measures, and whether our circumstances and theirs don't differ so as to make that hurtful or ineffectual us which was of advantage to them. On the other hand, it is no argument against anything proposed for the general good to say it is new and what has not been practiced, when anything proposed has been already practiced by other nations. It is a presumption in favor of such a proposal, and it is a presumption against it if it has been refused. But a wise nation ought not to be determined by example to follow or refuse without examining. This proposal has not been refused. The essential part is now practiced in France, for paper is covered by law, and though of the manner that in all appearance ought to have hindered its currency, yet I'm informed foreign bills are bought with paper money, the same as with silver or gold. In the example of nations in relation to money would be a very uncertain rule. First has been said at page 70, opposite measures have been used in some countries to what have been used in others, and countermeasures have been used in the same countries to what was used immediately before, not because of any difference in their circumstances, but from the opinion that since the method used had not the effect designed, a country would, and there are good reasons to think that the nature of money is not yet rightly understood. Any other objections that I have yet heard against this proposal are such as may be fully answered, and so far as I can see into it, with all the application I have been capable of, I cannot find any objection but what may be fully answered, nor any difficulty in the execution but what may be removed. If there is any fallacy in the positions I lay down, or any wrong consequences drawn from these positions, I have not been able to discover them. End of section 13、In、section 14 of Money the Trade Considered by John Wu, this report's recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 The natural advantages the Dutch have for trade are their situation at the mouth of the rivers of Germany and being near the bucket trade. Their natural disadvantages are 
smoothness of territory, and barrenness of soil, producing little but what's forced, wonderful mines, long winters, unwholesome air, marshy, so obliged to great expense for foundation to their buildings, in making and keeping up the highways, and in draining the country yearly, a dangerous coast, difficult entry to their rivers. The sea to defend against on one side, and powerful neighbors on the other, and heavy taxes, the consequence of these other disadvantages. Yet they have so improved their few advantages that they are becoming rich and powerful people. What has contributed to their riches and power was the early protection and favor the government gave to trade, the liberty which was given to people of different religions. The freedom of trade allowed to strangers, the example of the rulers' economy, but chiefly the neglect of trade in other countries, particularly in Spain, who forced the people and the trade of Flanders to Holland. Scotland has by nature many advantages for trade: a large territory, of easy defense, plenty of people, a wholesome air, mines. A proper situation for the eastern and western trades, near the bulky trade, a safe coast, rivers of easy entry, the seas and rivers stocked with fish. But the numbers of people, the greatest riches of other nations, are a burden to us. The land is not improved, the product is not manufactured. The fish and other advantages for foreign trade are neglected, and the reason generally given is that laziness and want of honesty are natural to us. If want of honesty and laziness were natural, they would be sold to mankind, or if peculiar to people, this would be sold to the Dutch rather than to us. The air of Holland is grosser, which inclines to laziness. And the country not producing real ways to maintain the inhabitants would force them to rob or cheat their neighbors or one another. But it is more reasonable to think laziness and want of honesty are vices, the consequences of poverty, and poverty the consequence of faulty administration. If the same measures had been taken in Scotland for encouraging trade, as was taken in Holland. We had been more powerful and richer nation than Holland. If Spain, France, and Britain, or any one of them had applied to trade as early and upon the same measures Holland did, Holland would not have been inhabited. But by their earlier application and the wrong measures of other countries, they have got such great magazines of what's necessary for their maintenance and defense, of rich commodities to sell to other nations, of materials for shipping. Etc., and such a quantity of silver, esteemed above its value as metal, by being used as money, that in all appearance, so long as silver is used as money, the great quantity they have of it, with their great economy, enabling them to undersell other nations, they will maintain the rank they hold in trade, and consequently in power, notwithstanding their natural disadvantages. The present application, the natural advantages of other nations. This country is more capable of extended trade than any other country of Europe. Yet it is reduced to a very low state.
and trade is ruined, the national stock is wasted, the people forsake the country, the rents of land are unpaid, houses in towns, and the farmers in the country are thrown upon the owners' hands. The creditor cannot have the interest of his money to live upon, and the debtor's person and estate are exposed to the law. The landed man. By having engaged his personal estate for the payment of a species, which is not in his power to perform, and having no alternative, by the law his person is at the mercy of the creditor, and his estate to be sold for so much of that species as it will yield. If two or three moneyed men coin their money with a design to force their debtors to part with their estates, at what prices they please to impose? They may bring the price of land to fifteen or ten years' purchase, for they would not take a bond in payment, and a few none would be in a condition to borrow with money. If beta should prove scarce, as we have not the goods or money for any value to send out for calls, so only a part of the people could be maintained. The better part would have bread, but the more necessary part, the laboring men. Would be forced to leave the country, or to starve in it, and nor would they fare better in England, for the scarcity of money has set idle many of the people of England, so there are more already than there is employment for, and our people, at least many of them, would meet the same fate they had endeavoured to evade. The landed men would want people to labour the ground. They would perhaps get food and clothing for themselves and their families, but this they were owing to, in all appearance, would get nothing. For the case being general, the landed men, the stronger party, they would not suffer their liberty and estates to be taken from them. But though the law could be put in execution, and the estates of the landed men were put to sell, as there would be few purchasers. The price of land would fall very low. Suppose the land was sold or given among the creditors for fifteen years' purchase or less, it would be sold for more than it was worth, for they would not find people to labour it. So many would be sufferers and none gainers. If neither of these cases happen, either this country cannot well subsist in the condition it is in. If this opportunity is neglected, if wrong or ineffectual measures are taken, in all appearance, we will be in confusion before we have another opportunity to raise or lend money, to coin the plate, or regulate the trade, are obvious measures to supply the want of money, and it is thought any one of them will bring us out of our difficulties when they come to be examined. Raising or lending the money will be found no help but a hurt to the country, whatever circumstances are. The others may prove ineffectual. Tea sold at import and expense abroad this last year exceeded our export by a very considerable sum. So to make the balance equal, we must not only return equal to the money which was sent out last year. The like way, so much more at the want of that money, and with the addition, the bank made our money may have lessened the yearly value.
So those disposable to the coin in the plate and regulating trade may bring the balance to our side. If it is to be filled, the consequences will show that it is not very practicable. For that and other reasons already given. However, they will assist by regulating our import. Regard ought to be had that the sale of our goods abroad be no way hindered. For if that is not taken care of, we shall lose more for want of market than we shall save by importing less. And though all necessary care be taken, yet the assistance may reasonably be expected from these measures will not relieve us. They may keep us lingering in the state we are. Exposed to confusion at home and to insults from abroad, most people think scarcity of money is only the consequence of balance due. But is the cause as well as the consequence? And the effectual way to bring the balance to our side is to add to the money. Our poor have been computed at two hundred thousand. Our people want more than now, but our poor may be as many as then. Suppose only a hundred thousand. Then, by the addition to money, fifty thousand of them were employed. They only for one half of the year. They labor to be paid three pence, and one three pence more to the employer. The consumption a penny more than now. The yearly value of the nation would be increased by such labor: one hundred eighty-nine thousand five hundred eighty-three pound six shilling and eight pence. If the country people about a person sterling. How to divide for twenty thousand pounds of linen, serges, and other manufacture more than is bought up? Though these goods exported will yield twenty or thirty percent profit, yet the owners can't export them. The goods being in so many different hands, and not having correspondents abroad to whom they could trust the sale of them, A, B, and C are satisfied for that profit to take the trouble and hazard of exporting them. But the money being scarce, they cannot get any to borrow, though their security be good. Nor can the well have credit for the goods from so many different people they are strangers to. If they could have credit for them, it is these country people must be idle till A, B, and C pay them out of their returns from abroad. So, for want of money to exchange by, and goods fall in value, and the manufacture decays, it cannot well be known. What some will serve the occasions of the nation, whose manufacture and trade advance, the demand for money will increase. But the many poor we have always had, it's a great presumption we have never had money enough. England has been computed to have had forty millions in gold and silver, and at the same time had paper money for a greater sum. Yet England never had money enough to employ the people. Fifty million would not improve England so far as it is capable of improvement. If all the people were then employed and to the best advantage, more money would bring more people from other countries. The progress of Holland by a great quantity of money, the numbers of people, the consequence of much money, is able to bear share in the wealth of Europe, equal to many times the same number of acres of better land in England. Yet Holland has not the advantages for trade that England has, so that the country that can have money equal to the demand will be more powerful than any other country with the same advantages, whose money is less than the demand. If money were given to the people in greater quantity than there was a demand for, money would fall in its value. But if only given equal to the demand, it will not fall in value.
At present, perhaps three or four hundred thousand pounds is more than there is a demand for. But as the trade and manufacture increase, the demand for money will be greater. What I have proposed to supply the country with money may be reduced to this: if instead of a hundred pound rent is worth two thousand pound in silver money, and this deed can be conveyed by paper, and this paper be capable of being divided. Then that estate may be made current money for two thousand pound, and any person who receives such paper money receives a value equal to the same sum of silver money, as silver is valued now. If it is coined for fifteen years' purchase, then that paper money will be more valuable than silver. For a sum of five hundred pound in that paper, we purchase land worth two thousand pound of silver money. If it is coined for twenty-five years' purchase, then that paper money will not be so valuable as silver. For two thousand pound in silver, you buy as much land as two thousand five hundred pound in paper. Since it is very practicable to make land money, it would be contrary to reason to limit the industry of the people by making it depend on a species that is not in our power, but in the power of our enemies. When we have a species of our own, it will be more qualified. And considering the state of this country. From the great scarcity of money, that the value of lands fall, rents are unpaid, farms are thrown upon the master's hand, and the latest person is stayed exposed to the law, they engage to pay a species of which there is scarce any in the nation. Second, the hazard the money demands in from the uncertainty of the value of money, and the danger of confusion, in which case the money man may lose all. Third. The low state of trade, that many of the people who depended on trade and lived well, are starving or forced abroad. Fourth, that the other degrees of the people suffer in proportion. Fifth, that the nation in this condition may run into confusion and is exposed to its enemies. Considering the benefit the nation will have by this addition to the money, that the land will be improved. So be more valuable, rents be well paid, and the debtors, by paying value equal to what is contracted for, may free their persons and estates from the danger they are now exposed to. Second, that the moneyed man will receive punctual payment in money of a more certain value than silver or any other goods, and be in no danger of confusion. Third, that the trade will flourish. And those who depend on it be encouraged. Fourth, that the condition of the other degrees of the people will be bettered. Fifth, that the nation will be able to maintain itself in order and resist its enemies. These reasons considered, the question then will be whether we will improve the country as much as is capable without being at any expense for measure of trade. Or continue as we are in hopes of silver from other nations. It will be a great advantage to this nation that by the register we are capable of putting this proposal in execution and enjoying the benefit of it. The other nations, though they resolved upon it, would for some years be incapable of it. Though for the general good of Europe, it were to be wished England were as capable of it as we are. I have not had time to put my thoughts in that order they ought to have been, 
and I'm forced to leave out answers I desire to have given to some objections I've heard made against this proposal. But if the Parliament think good to enter upon the consideration of it, I do not doubt but it may be made appear to be of great and certain advantage, that it cannot possibly be any way hurtful to the country in general, and that it may be so ordered as not to be hurtful to any person but on the contrary. End of section 14 End of money in the trade considered with a proposal for supplying the nation with money by John Doe